up, Internet? You're tuned in episode 91 of the Video Game Pals. I'm your host, Pete Investi, joined today by some of my dearest friends in the world, Mr. Andy Brown. Oh, hey. I'm glad you've recovered from your concussion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this one was a real doozy. It took me out for two whole weeks. I'm lucky I have any brain cells. <laughs> We're just lucky you didn't get con- concussed, too. Yeah, true. <laughs> a man who's never had a concussion, Mr. Robert Thompson. Oh, that's not true. I actually did have one recently. <laughs> kind of had one as well. So, All right, great. Well, and then last but not least, Mr. Sean Bartley. Hello, hello. Are you, you've never been concussed, right? Is that safe to say? All right. No. No, I don't think so. But one time, all right, so I sleep a little <laughs> bit weird sometimes. Like, I move around a lot. And one time there were these, uh, there was like a, a dresser sort of next to my bed but it has like two levels oh no so i slept so crazy that i ended up with my head nestled underneath the like on resting on the bottom and underneath the top and when i wake up i wake up like a crazy person so i was like i was like eight years old i woke up like the undertaker and i bashed my forehead on the top and i had a knot on my head for years Dude, that's... I wasn't concussed somehow. <laughs> that's wild. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. I just... I love the image of eight-year-old Sean just sitting straight up in bed like The Undertaker. <laughs> and just bashing my head on a dressing room right back down. Oh. That was me. Uh, so, it is It is really good to be back with you gentlemen, uh, especially on a week packed with some very juicy news. Uh, but, before we jump into that, let's kick the show off the way we sometimes do by talking about what we're playing this week. Uh, I have so many games to discuss uh, over my vacation. Or, or, I'm sorry, while I was in the hospital with my concussion. Uh, <laughs> I, I was able to play a ton of, of indie games that had been on my list for a while, um, as well as some other things. So uh, I just wanted to do some quick hits on these and uh, make some recommendations for the things that I liked and chastise the things I did not like. <laughs> uh, so first up, I wanted to give a shout out to a uh, mobile game, actually, which is the first time I've ever like done that on this show for a thing that wasn't a Nintendo thing. Um, oh, yeah. Let's go. So this game is called Florence. And uh, I'm sorry. And the machine? No. Um, Florence on the machine called my smartphone. Um, no. So Florence is uh, a really interesting game. It was getting a lot of buzz last year. And, you know, I finally decided to download it and have it on my phone for my flight. And uh, it's like a 45-minute experience. It's, it's definitely not very long. And it's the story of, uh, like, a relationship of this, like, man and woman who meet. And um, all the mechanics, like, there's no dialogue, but the story is told through, like, gameplay and music and, like, uh, comic art, basically, you know? So some of it is, like, movement-based and all that stuff, but there's a lot of, like, light animation and then, like, you know, really well-crafted still images and stuff like that. So it tells its story in a really, really interesting way. And um, I... I, I was really impressed by it, like, just by its presentation, you know? Like, one of the, the main mechanics is that whenever the two characters are having a conversation, uh, there are, like, um, you know, like, if you've ever read a comic, there's, like, dialogue bubbles. But instead of there being dialogue in the bubbles, uh, it's, like, puzzle pieces. Oh, that's really And cool. you have to match them up. So, like, 
it's it's really really unique and the way that the puzzles work depends on where you are in the stages of their relationship right like on like their first date it's they're really jagged pieces and there's a bunch of them and it's very awkward because they're getting to know each other right but then like there's a scene where like they fall in love and you know it's all just one thing you know and there's like no you're not even doing any puzzles anymore because it's become that easy for them to talk you know so it's it's very very unique and i think it really speaks to the evolution that we've seen in storytelling in games over the last couple of years where there are a lot of I think untapped and unexplored ways to explore storytelling in gaming yet, and uh, Florence does a really good job of doing something new and something that like really left an impression on me. You know, I finished it and it was very much this thing of like, I gotta tell people to play this game. You know, it's it's very very special. Okay, yeah, that sounds really cool. Sounds awesome. I'm glad you joined the mobile game revolution. <laughs> Well, this is a premium mobile game, no less. It's three dollars, so um, oh, yeah. You know, it's like it's like a it's like a real game <laughs> that you spend money for, and then you get the game, and then that's it. Well, for me, it says it's two ninety nine, Pete. So you got chips. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I would definitely highly recommend. Uh, you know, anybody who's interested in um, something a little experimental, checking it out. But I definitely think on this panel. Of, uh, of, of you know, gamers. I think, Andy, you're probably the one who... This seems like it would definitely speak to your sensibilities. When I finished it, I was very much like, yeah, this is this is an Andy game. I think Andy yeah, would get something out of this. Like something that I would get something from. So I, I yeah. hope I hope you'll give it a shot. Because uh, I, I really enjoyed it. And um, I'm definitely going to try to sit a couple people down and just be like, here, take my phone for 45 <laughs> minutes. Play this game. <clears throat> Uh, so then I also got to play uh, another little indie that was was a, made a big splash last year called Minute. That's um, the, like the black and white top-down Zelda one? Yeah. Yes. Uh, so the game is like, it's in a monochromatic style. It, it very much looks like, like a Giga Game Boy game, you know? And you play this little like Tamagotchi-looking guy, and it's, it's a roguelike. But um, instead of, you know, the mechanics being, you know, the traditional roguelike of play until you die and like you get a little stronger each time you find more items you're able to access new areas or whatever uh you only have a minute to live every time you you start a new life so nice every and that's obviously where the name of the game comes from um but every time that you start up a life you you spawn in whatever your home base is at the time i believe there's four or five different home bases across the map and you have one minute to go and do whatever your whatever piece of the thing you're trying to do right now before you die, start back and have to start and go back again and, and keep keep it going. Sounds like Dark Souls. I like it. Well, the thing that I thought was interesting about it was, you know, obviously that's like a unique hook, you know, and that sets it apart from other games. So that was something I was interested to see how it would play out. But I was really wondering what like the pacing of the game would be like and if there would be if it would be frustrating you know and it definitely wasn't like the game does a lot of really clever things to try to waste your time or trick you um but they never feel cheap like a great example is you meet this like old man at one point and he talks really slowly so you need to like spawn and run to him immediately and listen to him otherwise you don't get all of his dialogue like the first time i met him i died halfway (laughs) through what he was saying 
You know, and I was like, mother, damn, you know, <laughs> so like, you, uh, and like the way that it, that leads to like more interesting puzzle design and stuff like that is really cool. Cause there'll be puzzles where you're like, I need to do one part of this today, run back, do the next part, run back, do the next part. And, and like little by little and like trying to learn what actions that you'll take that will impact the world permanently and which things will get reset is really, really interesting. And it, it never feels frustrating. It never felt like it overstayed its welcome. Uh, my only complaint with it was I beat the game in about an hour and a half, which was fine. But uh, the ending felt like a little anticlimactic to me. Like it was when I got to the ending of the game, it was like, oh, that's the end. Crap. Like I could have played this for another hour or two, which is a good problem. If the worst thing you can say about a game is, man, I wish there was a little bit more of it. You know, it, obviously it was good. Um but I, I was really impressed by just how they took this really small, interesting, like, limitation that the game imposes on you and, like, explored that meaningfully through the game's design. So, Pete, uh, is it days in it? You mentioned days earlier, so, like, when yeah. you have the minute, it's a full day? Well, I, like... It's not necessarily, game, I mean. yeah, it's not necessarily that there's, like, dates where it's, like, oh, it's January 1st, now it's January right, right. 2nd. I just mean, this like, like, day two or whatever. Yeah, like, it, and they don't count that. It's just more, like, oh. you keep dying and spawning again, you know? And every time you spawn, it's, like, Damn. you're you're continuing what you were doing, but you don't start where you were, you know? Okay. As long as you get to the spawn points or whatever. Yeah, so there are, there are multiple, like, home bases and when you get to a new home base, that becomes your new spawn point until you go back to another base or find a new one. So, like, if you realized, oh, there was something I was supposed to, like, I unlocked this new ability, right? Like, you get an item where you're like, oh, I can cut down trees now. So you can go back to the first section of the game where there were a bunch of trees and, like, start at your old house again and, like, do all the stuff that you can do in that section now and then go find a new one. Okay. Hmm. Looks like this is in my cart now for Steam. <laughs> yeah. It's, this looks nice. fucking great, by it's, the way. <laughs> it's really fun. And it's cool because when I finished the game, it, it tells you, like, what percentage of the game that you'd completed. And there was a ton of stuff I missed, so I want to go back and play it again. And then you also unlock a new game plus mode where you only have 40 seconds every life instead of 60. And they, <laughs> and they move awesome. shit around so that you can't just use your muscle memory. Uh, oh, so, that's cool. So I was like, okay, yeah. Like, there's. it's definitely not that there's not enough content. It's just I, I definitely would have loved if the world was a little bigger just because yeah. I liked it so much. You know, if there was another full section, I think, I would have been happy with that. Yeah, man, it's only, uh, this is only $10 as well. It's so cheap, yeah. This I, I, is I got really it on cool. sale, too. So, um, yeah. Add like to the wish list. <laughs> it's, it's also on Switch. That's where I played it. So, um, yeah, if you, if you it's a great game for the Switch, you know, because it's like perfect for jumping in that, jumping out an hour and a half sounds so like yeah perfect length for that game because the the thing that's held yep. me back from picking it up yeah. before when it's been on sale or whatever is it just sounds exhausting you know and i i i thought the same thing i really did uh, and i only picked it up because um you know if you're a regular listener of the show you know that i i work for another website called loot pots and uh on our like game of the year wrap-up discussion one of the other guys i work with Pixelpar uh was talking about it and really selling me on its praises and um he was like dude just just give it a shot i tried undertale for you try this for me and i was like all right fine and i picked it up and it was not it was not what i was expecting it was it's not 
brutally difficult. It's not frustrating. Like, there are times where you have to, like, figure out puzzles and stuff like that that might be a head-scratcher, but, like, you as, like, a point-and-click adventure game guy, like, you'll figure it out. Like, none, none, none of it was so difficult that I needed to, like, consult a guide or that I ever was, like, I'm frustratingly lost, okay. you know? So if you're on the fence about it, give it a go. Definitely worth definitely worth the 10 buck investment, I think. And I'm really excited to see what their next game is because these guys uh, you know, kind of came out of nowhere and and I think this yeah, game was really fresh. Yeah, check it out. Yeah. Awesome. You'll have to let us know what you think. Uh, so then I also got to play uh, Katamari Damacy Reroll. Woo! And oh god, I that game was just as good as I remember it, man. Katamari is like a is a bona fide masterpiece. I love that it's re-roll, by the way, yeah. <laughs> for this title. So yeah, I mean if you you know, if you're a fan of Katamari, it's just Katamari one with better, you know, it's up resed and you know, so it's like don't expect any new content, but I you know, this is a game that I love and have like wanted a new Katamari for so long. So, like, going and revisiting the first one, which I haven't played since it was new, back on the PS2, uh, was, like, a really nice, like, you know, return to the franchise for me. And if they do decide to do a new Katamari, like, I'll definitely be showing up for it. Awesome. Yeah, I really hope they do a new Katamari. It, Katamari 1's, like, kind of a short game, if I remember correctly. So I didn't yeah. Wanna, like, I didn't want to buy the re-roll for, what was it, like, 30 bucks? Yeah, it was a 30 30 yeah. Game. Yeah. So, like, I'm going to pick it up on sale eventually, but, man, do I love that Katamari's back. Yeah, yeah, I definitely, I, I get that. I think for me, like, it was perfect for what I was looking for, right? Like, when it was like, oh, like, I want a few short games I can play on my vacation. I was like, Katamari's vacation perfect. Vacation to the hospital? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, Katamari reroll. If you're a Katamari fan, well worth your well worth your time. And if you've never tried out Katamari, but it's like kind of been on your radar, definitely pick it up. It's worth it. It is kind of a short game, but I think there's a lot of replayability in it as well. You know, like I beat the game in like a day or two, but I'm still playing it because I'm trying to like get better high scores and like you know, it's it's the music is great and it's super charming, so it is a fun like arcade experience to just play for if you've got five minutes to kill or whatever or if you want to you know do like one of the last missions and have like a nice 20 minute investment you know it's never it never requires you to play for more than like 20 minutes at a time so it's it's been a, a really like nice game to play at the end of the day when i'm trying to get to bed or you know if i'm like you know whatever just just need like a quick a quick break or something like that you know mm-hmm. uh so then the last game i'm going to talk about uh <laughs> is uh, actually not a game at all. It's uh, a book that I read by one Mr. Jason Schreier, uh, a.k.a. what an actual real video games journalist looks like. Uh, so I read his book, Blood, Sweat, and Pixels, over my, my vacation, and um, I, I really enjoyed it. And I, I, just, I did just want to like take the time to recommend it uh, to everybody here, as well as everybody in the audience. Because um, I think if you're somebody who cares about video games uh, in the way that we do, you know, where like, you like talking about the ins and outs of, of like, you know, the stories around games as much as the games themselves. I don't think that there's a better, I don't think there's a better example of that out there, you know? And like, as someone who is a fan of Jason's work, I think it's like clearly the strongest thing that he's done in the past. Um, 
it's like you know, the entire thing is every chapter is a different story about a game's development and what were the challenges that they went through and overcame or failed to overcome. And uh, it is both eye-opening and inspiring, you know? And I think if you're somebody who really loves video games, especially if you have any interest in getting into game design, uh, it is a must-read, I think. Damn. Awesome. I want to read that. When I try to read things again, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, and honestly, keep keep your eye on it on Amazon because they regularly have really good deals on it. And uh, I'm I think, surprised you didn't already read it because I had seen that in your house for quite a bit, Pete. Yeah, I mean, it's been <laughs> burned a hole. Yeah, it's been you burned a hole in like my back times. for a while. And yeah. um, I finally got around to reading it and I started it on the plane and I could not put it down. Like, I had all these games on my Switch but, like, every time I had a spare second, I was reading the book, you know? So that, that plane took you to a pretty faraway hospital. I mean, yeah, God. Yeah, I mean, dude, I, I was concussed while I was, uh, you know, scaling the Alps. So they had to helicopter me out. And then, I, you know, it's a whole thing. I can't be sure your testimonies are accurate now. <laughs> uh, oh, and uh, I, I did actually notice I, I skipped one game that I played, but it's terrible, so I don't need to talk about it very much. <laughs> okay. Uh, no, what's the name of the game that the kids away? So I, I reviewed a game called Dying Reborn uh, for the aforementioned website, lootpots.com. And so this is the second game I've reviewed for the website, both of which were uh, published by a Chinese publisher called Coconut Island Games. And I wanted to include this on this week's show as a PSA that you should never, ever, ever buy a game that's published by Coconut Island Games because they're fucking bad. And I don't even think that, like, I don't even know that it's fair to say that the games themselves are bad, but their shoddy, shitty, poorly optimized ports of their games are really, really bad. So Dying Reborn is a, like, escape room horror first-person point-and-click adventure style game, which is a mouthful, but basically it's every level is you're locked in a room, you have to find items, find clues, use those items, or and contextualize those clues. And uh, the puzzle design, some of it is really, really good, but this port of it is one of the worst ports of any game I've ever seen. Because I hit a point where uh, I hit a brick wall, right? Where I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do next. I know that there's a clue. I know that it's here. Like, I know what it's related to, but I I can't figure out what I'm supposed to do right now. So I looked up a guide, right? Game was originally released on uh, PS4 a while back. So plenty of guides available. I get there, and as soon as I look at the guide, the clue is clear as fucking day in the guide on the PS4 version, but on the Switch version, the lighting is so janky, you can't see the clue. Oof. And it only gets worse. The PS4 version has uh, full voice acting. The Nintendo Switch version has no voice acting. And they changed a lion's share of the text. And they touted it as a new Switched story, which I thought was a good pun. (laughs) Nice nice pun. But the, the story that they changed... They added a backstory that makes no sense uh, and never gets explored. They establish a bunch of plot threads that get established, teased, and dropped with no explanation and no resolution. And for the conclusion of the story, they add a really weird, like, sexual subplot that is in no way present in the original narrative. No thank you. Yeah. So across the board... 
There, I, I, I cannot, I cannot recommend that anyone spend money on this game. And if you're interested in the idea, the the pitch that I gave you of, oh, it's like a point and click style adventure, like, but a first person escape the room horror game. Just go play it on PS4 or Steam. <laughs> do not pick this up on Nintendo Switch. Damn. Yeah. And, and again, do not buy games from Coconut Island Games. I, I, wow. <laughs> I, I, like, they sent us this copy, like, the review code without any, like, we didn't ask for it, because I reviewed their last game, and the next time they send one, I'm going to reply, like, yo, I'm not reviewing any of your games anymore. I'm out. Wow. Yeah. Damn, dude. I'm, I'm they not. They have, like, four games. I'm not wasting <laughs> my time on another one. At least according to Steam, they've only got four games. Well, I've played 50% of them, and they're bad. <laughs> what was the other one you played? Uh, Shio. Shio? Oh, that's not on here. Yeah. Look at that. Damn. I'm pretty sure they only did the Switch port of it. But either way, uh, yeah, they do really shoddy, poorly optimized ports where it was like the text would even sometimes like they would end sentences with commas. There'd be no spaces between a sentence. There'd be stuff that was <laughs> grammatically incorrect. Like I bet you were having a great time. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, I can't handle this. This is awful. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's my that's Pete's soapbox for the week. Uh, uh <laughs> I I liked most of these games and highly recommend you check them out. Avoid Dying Reborn like the plague and uh pick up Blood Sweat and Pixels. So, uh that's enough from me. You guys yeah, all had games up, that Pete. you played too. <laughs> I'm hoping that the people missed me enough that they were happy to listen to me talk about games. <laughs> uh so Sean, why don't you catch us up with what's been going on with you and the world of Warcraft? Well, uh, I actually have an announcement to make. Uh, as of two weeks ago, no, as of last week, uh, I am officially no longer playing World of Warcraft. What? What? I miss one week and this is what happens? <laughs> oh my god. Yes, yes. I held back the announcement because you guys were absent. But uh, yeah. Um, it's like Sean got I, pregnant, you know, and he's like, he's like, I'm waiting to <laughs> go into mom mode. Yeah. Holy crap, dude! Yeah. So we gotta we gotta I, unpack this. Sure. So, go ahead. What what motivated this decision? So there's a there's a few there's a few factors. Uh, first of all, I've been playing World of Warcraft for. 15 years, pretty much. 14, 15 years. Sean's relationship with World of Warcraft is a sophomore in high school. <laughs> there you go. Um, and, you know, it's 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 been off and on, but this last stretch was the longest that I played without a substantial break ever. So uh, four years-ish, five years um, straight. And... You know, that's definitely tiring, especially because for the majority of that time, I was doing it from the front. I was leading a raid team that was highly successful and competitive, and that's hard because you don't just have to play the game. You also have to manage personalities, manage expectations, deal with people's drama, all of that stuff, and it all fell on me. So in that same time period, obviously, we started... The comics pals and the video game pals and all that stuff. And, um, you know, you guys at home see the shows, right? Um, but there's a lot of other responsibilities that come with doing this that having to segment nine hours of my week off um, made it hard to, 
you know, commit the way that I want to commit to this. Um, and just, you know, things like that, real life stuff, having to say no to every offer that I ever get to do anything during the week, things like that. Um, and then also the weekends because we do these shows. <laughs> and then also the weekends because of that, because I have to see my girlfriend who I haven't seen during the week because I've been, you know, playing World of Warcraft. And it's not just the nine hours, right? In order to keep up, you have to do other things, right? So, um, but all of that was, you know, frustrating and stressful, but I was accepting of it because I love the people that I play with and it did add joy to my life. So here in the most recent tier that we did... Um, uh, which was all dear. Um, it just felt we were doing great. We did fantastic. Um, but I could tell that there was a lot of there were a lot of people who just weren't loving the game. Uh, World of Warcraft is in a place that a lot of people are not happy with right now, and that impacted people's enthusiasm. And a lot of people quit the game. From the time we started in Old Deer to our ending, to the point where we were scrambling to try to put raids together because so many people had stopped playing. And at that same time, lots of people had real life stuff going on that was limiting our ability to raid. And that for that for that reason, it took us longer to kill the last boss than it should have. Even though we still killed it faster than we ever have killed the last boss before, we could have done better. And that could have done better was something that everybody understood and frustrated a lot of people. Uh, so we we just it just got to a point where I wasn't able to recruit anybody new because we're alliance and the imbalance between alliance and horde from a rating perspective is immense. And too many people would just say, oh I'm gonna go horde. You know, like we would try to recruit someone, oh I'm just gonna go horde. Uh, that was super common. Or, oh, I'm just going to quit the game. And so it became very, very difficult to find new players. Meanwhile, uh, a, a large amount of people told me that they were quitting the game at the same time. Uh, for di- for their own reasons, all of which ultimately boiled down to, I am not having fun with this game. And... That's a big commitment for something that you're not enjoying anymore. Exactly. And... I was not willing to try to raid at a lower, like, level than what we have been because we're losing great players, otherwise it wouldn't be in the guild, uh, and they're hard to replace. I wasn't willing to raid at a lower level that didn't meet our standards when people were already expecting more out of us, uh, especially in light of the fact that I am just tired of doing it. Um, I love the game, and I love the people, but I want to move on with my life, and I want to experience everything that life has to offer, um, and I want to be able to do and contribute more to this project because this is what I'm most passionate about in life right now, and that used to be well, and it's not anymore, and I'm not doing my myself a disserv or I'm not doing myself a service if I'm putting so much effort into something that I don't love. And neglecting other things that I do love. And I don't want to do that anymore. So I stopped. And I feel great. Oh, I'm I'm really proud of you, man. Yeah, yeah, man. Thank you. Me too. And honestly, like, that's exciting to me. 
Because, you know, as much as, like, it's it's always been really interesting to me to get to talk about World of Warcraft with you because you just understand it on a level that none of us do. Um, but in the same breath, I was also really disappointed when I was like, oh, man, Sean's going to play Spider-Man, and then you couldn't, you know? And when we talked yeah. about like, Kingdom Hearts 3, and I'm like, I wonder if he's going to have the time to do it. And it's like, now you will, you know? Yep. Absolutely. That's something that changes. You know, now when I... When I want to sit down and play a video game, I can sit down and play any game. It doesn't have to be WoW. Um, and that's a big change. World of Warcraft was something that I did uh, in a lot of ways because I didn't have anything else for a really long time when I was young. Uh, and it filled a void. And sometimes in life, you fix yourself, but you do it with bad tools. Or tools that are actually hurting you. Um, but you don't realize it because you built you built yourself up around this thing, and I needed to take that out in order for me to fill it with something better. And you know, and like you said, right? Like you don't have that void now. You know, it's like you you have a girlfriend, you have creative projects, you have a lot of other games to play. You know, uh, yeah, dude, you got tons. You got tons waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, right next to me, I have um, uh, Resident Evil. Oh, so, oh, nice, dude. Yeah. Nice. Yep, now I can dive into that. Is it yeah. out of the plastic? No, I actually just, just got it. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to play that. I'm going to play Kingdom Hearts. I'm going to go back and play Spider-Man. And I'm going to have a blast. This is an exciting time. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's just a weird world we live in. Like, Kingdom Hearts is coming out. And, like... Sean Sean's... gave up. Wow. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> something happened. The parallel world just kicked over, man. <laughs> <laughs> so that's my story. Oh, that's oh, great, dude, man. A beautiful yeah. one, too. Yeah, yeah that I, was good for that was a, That was not what I was expecting yeah, at all. I was expecting to hear, like, yeah, we had a great raid, you know, we're <laughs> moving up the leaderboards again. Yeah, the, the new raid just released uh, last week, and everybody has moved on. There are other guilds and stuff, and I'm not. And it's like, wow, I don't care about this. I don't, I don't want to know what's going on. I just want to, you know, live my life. It's like a liberating feeling, isn't it? It sure is, yeah. man. Good for you, man. I'm glad. And I'm excited for what that means for uh, for your, your time here. Thank you. Yeah, I look forward to the future. Yeah, as, as do we all. Uh, so, Thompson, you <laughs> spent some time with uh, a game called Battlefleet Gothic 2, which... Yo, man, anything I talk about is not going to top Sean's story. Why did you do this <laughs> thing? <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know he was going to drop that kind of bomb yeah, on us, you, you know? You put Sean first and now we can't live up. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, I, I played this game. It's really good. You know I love Warhammer. Uh, Pete, you remember the first one? Yeah, yeah, the um, first Battlefleet Gothic was a really, really cool game. It just so, did not have an install base. No, no, so th I feel like this one has a lot going on for it. I have seen players all the time. Um, it's, it's huge in comparison. The first game had four factions. This has 12. Um, it's pretty much like if you played the board game, uh, you know, for the miniatures and all that. This is pretty much the game. Like, I think almost everything's here. They're going to add a few new ships and stuff as time goes on, and apparently they're going to add a campaign for every faction because they've got three of the That's 12. Cool. Yeah, and they're they're pretty varied. You play as, like, the Imperial, which I guess, you know, I guess you could call good guys, but humans. You play as humans. Um, you play as the Necrons, which are the space Terminators, essentially. <laughs> and then you play as Tyranids, which are the great devouring swarm and... That one's really cool because it it does all the cutscenes through like the eyes of the people you're killing, 
because the Tyranids don't talk. They're just a giant bug space swarm thing. So those... Oh my god, the cutscenes are fucking great. The graphics are great for this game. Um, <clears throat> tons of replayability. Um, I've been playing with a couple of our friends already, and we we have... You know, like, my love for finding really dumb things in games that you can exploit, like... Yes. I have already found that with, like, just about everything. And, like, almost every faction has had some fleet composition that I am in love with. Uh, and to top it all off, apparently they're going to be adding an unlimited fleet at some point, where, like, there's no point value, so you can just take, like, 25 battleships or some shit. I don't know how that's going to work. But that would make my computer melt. So I'm, I'm sure that'll be ridiculous that. and fun. <laughs> Well, it's already ridiculous and fun. But don't get me wrong. So, Pete, you've really—if you had any inkling of the first game being great—I I have to show you this. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely want to play this with you because I—I like the first one a lot, and I thought about buying it, but it just like as the number of players started to dwindle, I was like, all right, this, I smell the blood in the water on this one. Yeah, so. yeah. I think the, honestly, you'd like the campaigns because they're—they're they're challenging, and it—it it does stress like the severity of every situation for like the warhammer world where everything sucks because you'll be doing slightly good by like turn 20 or something um then all of a sudden everything just falls apart and it's kind of glorious to watch your like 10 fleets you made that you have leveled up get fucking annihilated and just feel the devastation you know <laughs> the game is <laughs> the game is um punishing at the higher difficulties and it has that XCOM, you know death is dead kind of feel and uh, holy crap! Every even the tiniest like escort ship when it dies, you're just like, no! There was like forty thousand soldiers on that ship. <laughs> oh no! It's fucking terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's abominable how many people die in Warhammer space battles. Like when they like a like a battle cruiser has somewhere like almost like two three million people servicing that ship, and like when it dies, it's just like, well, they're all dead. So <laughs> millions died in one battle. <laughs> Um, yeah, but the game is fucking great. Um, honestly, for the price, I'm going to give this, like, an, a 9 out of 10. Like, I, nice. Not yeah. just because I'm a fan. <clears throat> it's really, really good, man. Like, it has everything in it. It's got a little bit um, of everything I love, and more is coming. We'll have to check it out. For free. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad that uh, that they were able to deliver on the promise of the first game for you here. Yep. It's absolutely what it is. Yeah, that's great. And they straight up delivered it, like, not like other people. Sometimes they're like, oh, we're going to kind of have to put all the things they said. No, these people are putting fucking everything they said they were going to do. So, good God. Hell yeah. All right, so Andy, uh, you had Tales of Vesperia Definitive Edition uh, on your yeah. docket this week. Yeah, so I've talked before about uh, the Tales games, I think, yeah. on this show. But, man, I fucking love those guys. They are such ridiculous fucking anime tropey nonsense. <laughs> Andy, I've, yeah. I've played uh, Zesteria and Berseria recently, so okay. would I like this one? Yes, this is better than both of those games. <laughs> All um, right. <laughs> there you go, Thompson's in. This is, yeah, this has gotten like the big re-release treatment. It was an Xbox 360 launch title. Oh, this is that one. That got ported yeah. to the PS3 with a bunch of new content in Japan, and that never came back west. Because, I don't know, Bandai because... weird stuff. But, so this is the definitive edition. It's got all the content they added in. Um, it's lots of really good voice acting. Uh, the characters are great. The story is tropey anime nonsense, 
and the battle system in the Tales games is like nothing else in the world. Yeah. It's like a JRPG, except instead of menus, the fights are Smash Brothers. Hmm. Yeah, basically. Yep. Um, so you still have to like set your stats, and you learn new moves as you progress, but you have your basic attacks on A, and your, your specials on B plus a directional, and you run around and you hit things. And you try and combo with your teammates. It's great. I'm loving it. Um, it's nonsensical and exactly what I needed in my life right now. Awesome, dude. Yeah, I, I've only played Symphonia, but I okay. have very fond memories of that game. So, Yeah, I, I would definitely recommend checking this out. Uh, this, I might. It was made by the same team that made Symphonia. Okay, that, that helps. Yep. Maybe uh, I'll, yeah, I, maybe I'll give this one a shot. I'm like 15 hours in and haven't gotten to save the world nonsense yet, which I always appreciate. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, what, you're 15 hours in, so there's probably, what, 75 left to go, maybe? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> also, one of your party members is a dog that smokes a pipe. It's great. What? Sold. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> you just, yeah, it's, you, oh, does he talk? He does not talk. Oh, he's, he's a regular dog. That's how you would have gotten Sean. Sean is a big fan of talking animals. Yep. He doesn't talk, well, but he does have a personality, which is like, you know, he doesn't have dialogue outside of like barks and whines and things. But I mean, if he smokes a pipe, he's more human than most. So, <laughs> all right. So before we jump into the news, we got some reader mail this week. Um, one of which or the first of which I'll say comes from our friend uh, Matt Murphy from the Longbox podcast who wrote in to us like just like you can over at the video game pals at gmail.com and said pals. My spirit has returned from the afterlife with a question. For somebody interested in the lore of Mortal Kombat, but not enough patience to go through the story mode of each game, how should they go about it? Is there like a tome like there is for Zelda or Warcraft, the movie or YouTube show? Let me know. The Ghost of Matt Murphy. Watch both the movies. (laughs) (laughs) You'll never get a better understanding for the Mortal Kombat lore than if you just watch the movies. You know what? Skip the first movie. Just watch Mortal Kombat Annihilation. And from there... You'll probably have no idea what's going on, just like me. <laughs> Great. Uh, so I think I'm probably the person here with the most experience with Mortal I think Kombat. You are. <laughs> I would guess um, so. I, I mean, I've played a lot of them, but yeah, I, you okay. probably have played more than me. Uh, the story of Mortal Kombat is pretty convoluted, as it tends to be with fighting games. I can't think of a fighting game whose story is like not like normal, super logical. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they did basically a, it's not a reboot, but like a, gosh, a retooling of, of everything with Mortal Kombat, I believe it was 9. Yeah, 9 was the, the one that was kind of like a return to form and it was like a soft reboot. Yeah, cause it, it, it continued the story with Liu Kang being dead and all this other craziness, but by the end of it, they had like done something where everybody came back and it was just wildness. Um, the story of Mortal Kombat is very difficult to follow the first few games because there is no story. It's just, you're just playing the game and you just fight whoever. Um, it doesn't pick up as a story for many, many installments. I think it's around um, the Deadly Alliance games for PS2 where the story becomes followable, I would say. Um, 
if you really want to follow it, I think there's got to be some YouTube videos online that tell the story of Mortal Kombat. I think that's got to be the easiest um, way to do it if you want to just catch up in time for Eleven. Yeah, the movies, I am a big fan of those movies, but they're not good movies. No. Uh, I, I, I really <laughs> like the first one, and I could watch that at any moment. Um, it's definitely better than the second, and it's one of the better video game movies, but that's not saying much. We understand <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, but if you if you want to laugh and you want to have a good time, the first one is worth watching. Uh, but for the story, just go on YouTube and watch a you know, I'm sure if you type in Mortal Kombat story, somebody's, you know, somebody's taking care of that for you. In fact, I'll look it up right now, and I will, uh, I will help you out with that, uh, because now I myself am curious about this. So, I am on YouTube right now, Mortal Kombat story, and, uh, yeah, Mortal Kombat explained in seven minutes by Ooh, IGN. wow. That's there we go. compared to what yeah. I thought was going to happen. History of Mortal Kombat, that's another one. And then, of course, Mortal Kombat's Inconsistent Timeline, which is a 28-minute video that I will be watching right after this podcast because I love videos like this. Yeah, that's my jam right there. (laughs) That's my shit. Yeah, so there you go. I want to expose expose broken timelines. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know what, Sean? Now that you're not playing WoW, you can start making one of those videos every week. You got nine hours to play with. That's right. Believe me, you don't even know the thoughts that I'm <laughs> That's what I like to hear. So hopefully that helps, Matt. I think I think that's definitely the way to go. Um, you also can't beat a good Wikipedia synopsis, you know, especially for the first few games, because I think once you understand who the major players are, where it's like, you know, uh, Shao Kahn and Liu Kang and, you know, like the, the bad guys, and then there's like Raiden and his boys, and they're the good guys, and it's like, that's kind of that's kind of what it boils down to, you know. Yeah, honestly, you're right. It's not a it's not a whole lot more nuanced. Than like that. all the bad guys come from the Nether Realm, all the good guys come from Earth Realm, and they want to protect Earth Realm from the Nether Realm. That explains the plot of most Mortal Kombat games, more or less. And yeah, uh, so that video should be able to fill in the rest of the gaps. Yeah, Shao Kahn is is basically Dark Side. He just. Yeah. Wants to take planets over. The only way he can take over Earth is through Mortal Kombat, which is a tournament, and Earth Realm always wins. Because we got the baddest motherfuckers in the galaxy. Yeah, bro, we got Jax. <laughs> yeah, and fucking seen that man? Johnny. What's his name? Johnny Cage. Johnny Cage. Hell yeah! This fucking <laughs> dick punch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, See, I did. The uh, fucking machine guns of the game. Yeah, it's like, machine he, gun he, arms. He's fucking crazy. He's a bad dude. motherfucker, dude. I, I really yeah. liked, uh, I think it was it was Niner X. I don't know. Which Was that the Four. one where they introduced their kids? Hit the kids, yeah, nine. Yeah, his daughter and then um, Sonya and, uh, and Cage's yeah. daughter are like badasses yep. too. Yep, I love it. It's funny because like, I feel like a lot of fighting games when they introduce like, oh, here's the new characters and it's somebody's kid. I'm always just like, ah. I don't really give a fuck about this, but I was like, no, these these chicks are both awesome, and their movesets are sick. Oh, yeah, I played a lot as, I think, Cassie Cage, yeah, I that's think her is name. her name. Yeah, yeah. She's a fucking as, awesome. Yep, Because she, she has, like, all of Sonya's kicks, but, like, the rest of her moveset is better. I'm just like, yeah, no. She was, like, my main, actually, for a while. That's f- so funny, because she was mine, too. Fuck I yeah, was always dude. A, 
Yep. I was always a Sub-Zero uh, Soniac player, and then when she came out, I just started picking her. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it's like I always played Sonya and Scorpion. So it's like, yep, I, I, I subbed her in like right away. There you go. Uh, so then our next one comes from uh, our buddy Harris, who's a regular uh, writer in on the show. And uh, he commented over on YouTube, just like you can, on episode 88, um, where we were talking about um, kind of the digital future. And he, he wanted to weigh in and offer some of his thoughts. So he said, even as a PC gamer, I think having an all-digital platform is disastrous. There are too many issues with content being altered or taken away. I still have Scott Pilgrim on the PS3 and Deadpool. Hell, even as I listened to the podcast, I was trying to look up physical copies of the old Tony Hawk games and barely found any available to purchase at a high price. Worst of all, digitally truly damages... I'm sorry, digital truly damages the consumer more than anything else. I do like Steam and other digital platforms for gaming, but it will always bother me to have the proverbial... Damn... Damoclean? Damoclean? I don't know this reference. <laughs> Damocles sword. Sword of Damocles. Da- the sword of, okay, the Damoclean sword always looming over any purchases online. All right. Well Harris, said. Uh, digging into his bag to pick that that reference out. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for what that. What is that from? Uh, it's, it's I don't like know. A... Sword of Damocles is some Greek thing, I think. It's a Greek I actually thing. It's just remember. a sword that like hangs and can fall at any time. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I think so, yeah. yeah. Har- Harris hitting us with the deep cuts. Yeah. Um, but uh, yes, I agree with everything you're saying. Can't wait to see you later, Harris, for the Royal Rumble. Hell yeah. Apparently yeah. it was suspended by a single horsehair. <laughs> that seems oh, wow. really, really unsafe. From Dionysus. All right. Yeah. She was, she was a trickster, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, thanks for writing in, Harris and Matt. Uh, we always appreciate hearing from you, you pals at home. So remember, if you want to hit us up, uh, you can get us at thevideogamepals at gmail.com like Matt did. You can comment on our YouTube or SoundCloud shows like Harris did. Uh, fi- follow us at the Comics, our sister show, at the Comics Pals on Twitter and hit us up there. Or, uh, you know, uh, there's probably other ways to get in touch with us on the internet. You know how the internet works. Find us and let us know what you're thinking. So with that, I guess that means it's time for... The News! The News! We talking about the news! The News! The News! We talking about the news! <laughs> Alright, so we've got six items on the news list this week, and we're going to kick things off with a, a meaty one. Metroid Prime 4 is restarting its development from the ground up. <laughs> this, this was a crazy story to wake up to, man. Like, I... In a million years, I would not have assumed that this is that this could have happened. Uh, so the news first came when Shinya Taka, uh, Takahashi, who's the senior managing executive officer at Nintendo, released a video on Nintendo's YouTube channels that was kind of discussing uh, the development of Metroid Prime 4 and the future of it, right? So the game was announced two years ago at E3, and we have literally not seen or heard anything about it since then, and it seems like this might be why. Uh, so... The game is being totally scrapped. Everything that's been done in it is being thrown out. They're starting over. And uh, Retro Studios, the team behind the original Metroid Prime trilogy, as well as some of, uh, you know, some really, really solid uh, Donkey Kong Country platformers in the last couple years, uh, they are taking over with producer uh, Kensuke Tanabe uh, heading up development. So he, he was the producer that was already on the game. He's sticking on. Otherwise, Retro is replacing everybody else that was involved. Um... So I can actually now reveal 
that uh, there were some rumors and some kind of backdoor confirmations that I was able to get through my channels over at Loot Pots that it was actually Bandai Namco Singapore Studio that was most likely the team behind the game. And uh, apparently, you know, Nintendo's decision to re-examine the development structure on the game is because they were really not happy with the quality and they were trying um, something that was apparently pretty experimental. So I've got some tweets here from Imran Khan, who is the uh, senior editor um, for the West Coast team at Game Informer. And he had some tweets that I thought were really interesting uh, that I wanted to just add to this conversation before I let you guys weigh in. So he said, hearing that the big problem with MP4 development was Nintendo's experimental ad hoc development process. It was being made in parts in different countries. Some studios were uh, trucking along saying it was going smoothly while it was on fire elsewhere. Internal thinking was that it needs to all be done under one roof to right the ship. Interestingly, Retro made the pitch for their involvement and put together a demo that Nintendo liked. Some clarification. I think Trilogy was just meant to be announced in December, not necessarily at the Game Awards. I haven't heard specifically that it was supposed to be there, and I doubt it. So he's referencing the Metroid Prime Trilogy, which has been long rumored and apparently is done. Um, and a, a lot of people have said that it's done and they're just literally waiting to release it at this point and that the kind of tumultuous, you know, development on MP4 and their, their desire to reboot it and all this stuff has uh, been the thing that's been holding it up. So this is interesting because obviously based on, uh, Imran's tweets, if, if, you know, they are, if the people who are talking to him are to be believed, uh, Retro was the one who actually decided they wanted to get involved in this reboot, even though that they've been working on their own game that's been in development for several years, which unless they've ramped up the size of their team in a serious way, uh, is likely going to be canceled or put on the back burner until Metroid Prime 4 is done, which, uh, if you listen to the statements from Nintendo, uh, this is years away. Uh, we have, I have a direct quote here from the video from uh, Takahashi where he said, it will be a long road until the next time we are able to update you on the development progress and development time will be extensive. 2021, so, baby! Yeah, like, <laughs> Switch 2 launch title, baby! <laughs> I was over the moon excited about this game. I actually... One of my predictions that is now clearly wrong was that we would see more from this game this year. Yeah, and I thought we'd see it at E3. That's going to be happening. Yeah. So, that said, though, I'm not mad. I'm bummed out because obviously I was, you know, very excited for this, but I'm not mad or anything. And I think this is a smart decision. Um, you never, you know, we talk about this regularly. You never want to see a game get rushed. Um I'll always, whenever we talk about a rushed game, I'll always think about Knights of the Old Republic 2 and how that game suffered from being rushed. Uh, I never want to experience that again. And I think um, Retro jumping in to, you know, preserve their baby and take care of what it is that they sort of. Their legacy. Yeah. Uh, It makes perfect sense. And it makes me wonder why they weren't the original developers of this game from the start. That's really odd. Yeah, I... For something like Metroid, it would be... It's it's the picture that they released at E3, and it, the crowd went wild, you know? Um, it's strange to hear that as something like that. Was the la- wasn't the last game one of the 
ones that was kind of cruddy for Metroid in the series. Other M? Yeah, yeah. wasn't that like one of oh, the last ones Oh, there was also Federation Force. Don't forget Federation Force. <laughs> yeah, and then there was obviously the um, Samus Returns remaster that they did on 3DS, which was well-received. It's uh, the, the, But the last like mainline console Metroid game was the one right. that was Other M that was done by Team Ninja, right. which people did not like. Yeah, so it's it's weird, especially with the re- reception that they had for the just the picture of Metroid Prime Four. It's kind of like you know hearing like oh a Smash game or a Mario game is being made and it's not by the same group. You know, like they just decided to do something experimental with it. I mean, maybe they wanted to mix it up because Other M was not received well. But seriously, like if it wasn't received well, they should just went back to retro. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe you know seriously, maybe they just like you said, Pete. They didn't have their other game that they were doing. Maybe they just didn't have the time before. Right, and I, I wonder if they were, like, they were fine passing the reins to somebody else, but when they heard, hey, it's in trouble, yeah. and Nintendo was willing to take a pitch from them, like, and they're like, hey, like, fuck it. Like, let's, like Sean said, preserve our legacy. Preserve, yeah, you know, yeah. they're the only people that have made a good 3D Metroid game. And, you know, <laughs> I think, uh, even aside from that, like, they don't get enough credit for reviving Metroid, because you think between the the last Metroid game before the original Metroid Prime was fucking Super Metroid on the yeah, Super yeah. Nintendo. So there was an eight-year gap between Metroid games, and then they brought it back and, and released a trilogy that people still remember fondly to this day. Isn't Metroid the only, like, like A-tier franchise of nintendo's that missed the n64 yeah well i mean i guess it depends on what you describe as a tier you know like that's yep. that's kind of i guess like a, a moving mark um but yeah I, I would i would say that like of the the really you know major like mascot kind of characters like metroid people think of metroid in that way even though it's never really yeah. like sold super well um do people think of metroid in that way though I think they I think do. Now they do. Well, I think I, I I think I think the hardcore types do, but I think that Metroid has always been a smaller subset of like players and never a like mascot type. I I agree oh. with that. Like Metroid is niche. You know, like I think Metroid is a game that like if you're a gamer, right? Like if if you're a hardcore, like the iconography of Metroid is iconic. You know, like Metroid is a is a game like a gamer's game, but it doesn't have the mainstream success of a lot of the other titles that people would compare it to, right? Like like Sean, you called it an A tier franchise. It doesn't sell like an A tier franchise. Like Metroid has always been a game that had fairly soft sales. Like Prime was a really big deal, but you know, aside from that, like the lifetime sales of Metroid do not measure up to something like Zelda or Mario or Pokemon or Animal Crossing or even Fire Emblem. I always I always thought of it as being one of Nintendo's like primary, you know, crown jewels. And then also I think the fact that it was that Samus was one of the only characters picked for the original Smash Brothers. Yeah. Like she's always been in the mix. For sure. So I always considered it that way. Um, and I do, I do think it's weird that they didn't have a game for Nintendo 64. And I think it's weird that a game, a a franchise that had such good games all on GameCube, or I'm sorry, uh, Wii, right? 
Wait, Metroid no, Prime. Prime was, was originally on GameCube, but they did a re-release right, on Wii. Yeah. Prime Thank and Prime okay. Two were both GameCube games, right? Right. Yeah. Um, and then also such great handheld games that they couldn't get it right again. That's it. Just it's that and Star Fox, where it's just like, what is the problem? I, I don't get it. And I, I think the interesting thing with Metroid is. I feel like Nintendo is a little bit more cautious or maybe even precious with Metroid because, like, Star Fox is just, despite the fact that there hasn't been a good one in a long time, they've put out a shitload of them. Whereas, like, with Metroid, I think if you look at the list of Metroid games, there's probably only two that people would consider not good. You know? Mm. Um, So there hasn't been as many of them. That but makes a lot of sense, I think actually. the quality yeah. bar is a lot higher. Even when I was younger, I, I hadn't played the Metroid games for, like, until the, uh, actually until Prime came out, I hadn't played a single one. And Me neither. I retroactively too. played them. Um, but even at that point, I had friends that talked about Metroid as though, like, they were just, like, the Blizzard seal of approval, kind of, at that time. It was like, oh, it's a Metroid game, it's gonna be good. Like, so when they were talking about Prime, like, they sold me on it. I don't think that you need to look any further than, like, the relevance of of Metroid to gamers than the fact that there's an entire genre of video games called Metroidvanias, you know? Right. And, like, Metroid is the one that that invented that. Like, Castlevania didn't start that way. Castlevania became more like Metroid. Oh, yeah. So, like, I, I think that your perception of it, Sean, is how a lot of gamers see it. Because gamers see it as a crown jewel, as legacy, as one of the best series of all time, even if they haven't played it. But I think to the average public, it's it's never been that popular. Okay. Except Prime. Prime was a big fucking deal. So I think the hype level and everything for 4 is a lot based on that. Because a lot of the gamers that grew up playing that as their first Metroid are now our age. You know, it's now us. Uh, so we we have that thought of it, and we have that that history with Prime as a brand. Um, but I think, to me, the thing I'm most like, obviously, this is disappointing, right? Like, if you're looking forward to Metroid Prime Four, you're gonna be waiting a lot longer. However, it also seems like clear as day, it's going to be a much better game because you're waiting for it. And I think that like I respect the shit out of Nintendo. For having invested however many, you know, two years worth of development, probably more than that, into this game. Looking at it and being like, this is not up to snuff. This is not worthy of, you know, the Metroid name or of our seal of approval. We're going to fucking scrap it and start over and get it right. That's, that's That's a huge sunken cost, man. That's a lot of money that they're just deciding, you know what? Fuck it. It's not worth it. And Dude, it's classic Nintendo, though. That's respect, that's, man. Like, that's what they do. Yeah, that's what everyone should do if you can, you know. And like, I know it's not that easy. Like, there's the realities of you got to ship a game sometime. But Nintendo can afford to do this, and I think the reality is that they see that Metroid has potential to be what what we as hardcores think of it, rather than what it actually is. Like, Metroid could be an A-tier franchise. Metroid could be a thing that Nintendo has that is different from all of their other core franchises. Metroid is more mature, it's darker, it's, it's like, by its nature, it's grittier. And, like, not in, like, a fucking, like, you know, edgelordy Devil May Cry way, just in that, like, most Nintendo games are 
they have a fun atmosphere. They have a light atmosphere. They're colorful. They're bright. Metroid is dark and dreary and lonely, and that's cool. That's different. And if they get it right, they could have a premiere first-person action shooter sci-fi franchise that they can milk in the same way they do Mario and Zelda. And that should be their goal because Metroid's capable of that. And there's never been a better time for that than right now. Because even on the GameCube, right? Like, the GameCube had a great library. The GameCube struggled. And the Switch is not struggling. The Switch is a success story. So if they can capitalize on this goodwill, on this wave of increased attention, and release a a Metroid game that's as good as Breath of the Wild or Odyssey, they're going to have a hit on their hands for the first time ever in this franchise's history, where it could really be something massive in the way that Prime was, but even as big as it was, it was on the GameCube, which didn't have... Like, the Switch right now, I'm pretty sure, is like is close to catching up to the GameCube's overall lifetime sales. You know? Like, that can't be understated. Yeah. No, it's... The Switch is crazy. Um, But, you know, with all this Metroid Prime 4... I have a uh, a confession to make. Is that the Prime series was never my jam when it came to Metroid, and you're a two D boy. I'm a two D boy. I'd love it if, in the meantime, Nintendo was like, "Yeah, we're gonna hire." Uh, what's the studio that made Hollow Knight? Oh, I can't gonna, think of it. Hold on, I'll look it up. <clears throat> we're gonna hire those guys, and we're gonna just get you like a beautiful hand drawn two D Metroid to tide you over in the meantime. Or get I'd, the get the guy who did um, Axiom Verge. Yeah, I'd pre-order that shit day one. Metroid Prime Four is in. I will play that eventually for me. To be honest, I'd actually prefer a two D one as well. But I just like the Castlevania and me screams. So you know, uh, Hollow Knight is made by Team Cherry. Team Cherry, yeah. Nintendo, call those guys up. Be like, make us a, a stopgap Metroid. You can do it. Yeah, I mean, I would love that too. I think that. Uh, in the same way that, like, Mario and Zelda both have their, like, here's the 2D-style Mario or Zelda game, like, and here's the 3D one. Like, Metroid is a, a franchise that's definitely capable of that. Just do it. Um, but I did just want to finish this discussion with a quote from one Shigeru Miyamoto that we like to pull out whenever this, this topic comes up. A delayed game is eventually good. A bad game is bad forever. There you go. Well said. So yeah, I as much as this is a bummer, I think ultimately this is good news for Metroid Prime 4 and for Metroid as like a, a franchise. And like I trust that Retro is going to nail it. So yeah, we're probably going to have to wait like three or four years to see this game. But hey, you know, as long as it lives up to the hype, it'll be worth the wait. For sure. Uh, so then this next one, I want to keep brief. Uh, Nintendo did their first Direct since September. Uh, and they they hit the Nintendo it was the Nintendo Indie highlights you know so it was like essentially the UK equivalent of the Nindie directs that we like to get um, and I thought there were a couple really hype games announced uh, but rather than kind of go through every single one like we sometimes do uh, I have linked you know to at uh, Nibelian Nibble on Twitter who's uh, you know a, a pretty regular source on the show uh, he does great wrap-ups of any time there's a big event like this so if you want to like check out all the games and trailers for yourself we'll link to that down below uh what i'd like to do is just each of us to call out you know 
what one to three games that really spoke to you uh, from from this highlight reel. So uh, for me, I think the most exciting game and one that I know Thompson's interested in is Wargroove. This is that uh, Advance Wars spiritual successor that they announced at the very first Switch event. And uh, it's finally coming out on February 1st. And yeah, well, I'll believe it when I see it. Oh, man, no. <laughs> it's coming, man. And like, I bought a Switch for this game. <laughs> hey, it's your fault because they told us it was coming out in late 2018. They only delayed it by like a yeah. month. Give okay. them, give them a bone. It looks really good though, man. Like they have, yes, they've does. flushed, uh, really fleshed it out d- deeper than we expected originally too. You know, like there's full level editors. You're able to make your own story campaigns. Like there's going to be like a Mario Maker style thing where you can download other people's stuff. Like there's a hun- I think like a 50 hour campaign just out the box. Like that is the actual game story. So it's like, there's a ton of content here. It's going to have cross play day one with PC and Xbox. And then it also, uh, has like local and online multiplayer. So like, there's a ton to do in this game. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I'm excited for it. And I always wanted it and I'm glad you saw the light. <laughs> but yeah, that's my, that's my number one out of this whole list. In fact, I, it's probably the only one I'm going to get out of this list. Yeah, that's like the only one that like spoke to me even a little bit if we're being honest. Really? I'm surprised by that. Yeah. Well, there were actually sorry, go ahead. I I guess like maybe not a little bit Crosscode and SteamWorld Quest look like they might be good. Yeah, I was going to say Crosscode is the other game that I wanted to call out because I've heard a lot of really positive buzz around this game. I think it's going to be like a Hollow Knight-style success story where, like, I know Jason Schreier and some of the other uh, – he does, like, this podcast called Kotaku Split Screen, and, like, all of them have been playing it and really singing Crosscode's um, praises. So, so I, I, I think that's going to be a game that when it comes to console, people are going to pay attention to it. You know what Crosscode reminds me of, like, looking at the trailer and the gameplay and the aesthetic? What's that? You ever play the Dragon Ball Z Legacy of Goku games in the Game yes. Boy Advance? Yes. It does kind yes. of look like that. They're so good, those games. Yeah, that's what... I'm getting those vibes off CrossCode. Um, I'm not sold on it yet, but if the reviews are good, I might pick it up. Uh, like Thompson, Wargroove was of interest to me from day one. Can't yeah. wait. I mean, I fucking love Advance Wars, so the fact that we're getting like a spiritual successor is rad i thought the thing that was really funny actually though is uh i don't know if you guys knew this this game is being developed and published by chucklefish which is the publisher that uh actually like helped stardew valley get uh out there you know uh it was developed by you know one man team like separate from chucklefish but i thought it's really funny that like their claim to fame right now is like yeah we're the people that published the harvest moon like spiritual successor because <laughs> nobody's making good harvest moon games anymore and then like yeah, yeah. the first big game that they're re- releasing since then is like hey remember advance wars everybody likes advance wars why don't they make those anymore we're gonna do it and i'm just yeah. like if this is your business model i'm fucking all about this like <laughs> what what other games have people just left like in the dust that you guys can give me a spiritual successor for Dude, like my uh, Fallout top-down isometric versions. You mean like, Wasteland? Only... It already exists. Yeah, but there's only one game. <laughs> it's like what one fucking game, <laughs> and the third one I don't know if it's even out. <sighs> God damn it! But yeah, I was gonna. I was, oh, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I was, 
I was going to suggest uh, all the other really old uh, RTS games that I had, because RTS games are dead. <laughs> <laughs> Give me my Command & Conquer spiritual successor. Oh, stop. <laughs> that's that's a, Holy fuck. If they did that, if they just came out of the gate, they're like, remember that time that you wanted to play Command & Conquer, and it's like you haven't been having a new game since, since fucking Red Alert 2? I would buy every single pre-order uh, Ultimate Edition. <laughs> I would uh, take a mortgage out. <laughs> God, dude. It's fucking money right there. Yeah, so I think... Um, I definitely agree Wargroove's the most appealing. I'm definitely interested in CrossCode as well. I think like a nice top-down like isometric sci-fi RPG sounds really cool and fresh. So I'm in for that. And uh, the buzz it's getting from you know Jason definitely is interesting to me because I think him... him my tastes align with him when it comes to RPGs pretty frequently. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited for that one. And then, Andy, you said that you were also – you perked up a little bit by SteamWorld Quest. Yeah, I really like the uh, SteamWorld Dig and SteamWorld Heist were both, like, pretty fun games. So I, I love that they're building this, like, weird robot shared universe where they just yeah. make games in different genres. Um, although it does look a lot like Slay the Spire, which – I would rather play because apparently that game is incredible. And I've heard that's really good. Yeah. When this came up um, and I was talking about it with uh, some of the loot pots guys, somebody was like, yeah, no, it looks like Slay the Spire. And I'm like, I don't know what that is, but I'm going to check it out now. But yeah, I, I really like like deck building games and like the whole RPG like deck building thing is like a very, it's still a pretty novel idea. There aren't very many of them. And the ones that I have played, I've enjoyed. Yeah. So I don't I don't love the Steam World aesthetic, so I don't know if this is gonna be the one for me. I might just go play this whatever the spire thing. Yeah, whatever Slay the, the spire. spire thing. <laughs> whatever the yeah, perfect. There were actually a few games <clears throat> on this list that I thought were pretty cool. Uh Double Kick Heroes looked fantastic. <laughs> that is such a I'm surprised Thompson wasn't into that one. Little heavy, I, I, I don't know. Heavy metal rhythm game. Yeah, this is a game I could legit buy, because um, I like music games, uh, and I like the sort of you know side scrolling, you know shooting at goons behind me type game with Gojira, whose music will be in this game. It's a band I really love, so. Um, that's awesome. I, I most likely will get that and I never buy indie games. So awesome, uh, cross code also looked really cool. Uh, you shouted that out earlier. Uh, and then there was one more that I thought was awesome. I can't recall the name of it. Shoot. Um, it was the game with the guy who's like, he's like, a, Oh, here we go. Inmost. Oh yeah. Yeah. I thought that looked really interesting too. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not sure that this is a game that I would buy. Um, however, now that I have a little more free time, you know these games are not too expensive. Maybe I'll pick a game like this up. I'll oh give my it a god! Shot. Oh my god! Sean's indie revolution is about to start. Whoa. <laughs> Strange times we live in. What a time to be alive, everyone! Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, that's uh, that, that's good enough, I think, for me. I, I thought this was a, a solid enough direct. It was a little short, but there are definitely some games I'm interested in. So, And I really like these indie directs. I think a lot of people are kind of down on them because they want like the big first-party announcements. But like, you know, I, I, I like a good indie game. So uh, whenever Nintendo can give them a platform, that's pretty cool. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so next up, I wanted to go through some NPD numbers that one uh, Matt Piscatella released. He's been a source on the show in the past. Uh, he's a games industry analyst who works with the NPD group um, and has been involved with you know companies like WB and Activision. Uh, so he is you know um, really great for this kind of stuff. And he he put out a whole thread of some of the most interesting findings uh, from the MPD numbers this year. And I wanted to just highlight a couple of them and, and get some reactions from you guys. Uh, so first up, uh, led by Super Smash Brothers Ultimate, tracked December sales reached $3.4 billion plus 2%. Um, Nintendo Switch finishes as the year's top hardware platform, while Red Dead Redemption 2 is the best-selling game of the year. And then... Uh, oh. He pointed out a couple other highlights. Um, uh, where is it? Uh, annual spending across tracked video game hardware, software accessories, and game cards increased 13% when compared to 2017 to $16.7 billion. This is the highest annual tracked consumer spend total since the $17.4 billion that was generated in 2011. So this was a huge year for video games uh, in general. Which is Happy to hear it. always bullish. Yeah, it's always good to see uh, when when consumers are bullish about the industry and are actually like getting out there and supporting stuff. Um, so annual dollar sales of tracked console, portable, and PC video game software reached seven point one billion dollars. So that's just from software. That's which so is much a, money. What's that? That's so much money. Yeah, um, and that is a seven percent. Uh, increase from last year and it's the highest tracked uh, video game spending since 2012 where it was 7.5 billion so again you know huge year uh, for both hardware and um, and software but there was a couple other just things that he pulled out that I thought were really interesting most of which were about Super Smash Brothers and I I'm sure Sean will be uh, interested to, to hear this Yes. So Super Smash Bros. Ultimate is the best-selling game of December 2018 and instantly becomes the fifth best-selling game of 2018, despite digital sales not currently being tracked by the NPD group. Wow. So that's Jesus. just physical sales. And Holy we shit. and we know people buy digital games in droves on Switch. Sure. Uh, I Smash Digital. I bought mine digital as well. Uh, package software launch month dollar sales of Super Smash Bros. Ultimate exceeded those of the previous best in the franchise history, Super Smash Bros. Brawl, by over 70%. That makes a lot of sense, actually, because Brawl wasn't that well-received, and then Smash 4 was on the Wii U. Yeah, but I mean, Brawl was the best-selling game in the franchise. No, un understood, but what I'm saying is, like, Wii U had... The smaller install base, we've mm. talked about that. Mm -hmm. And then Brawl, even though it was the best-selling one, a lot of people who play Smash, like like real Smash Smashers, didn't migrate to that game. That's true. And I think a lot of a lot more casual people are aware of Smash as like a fun game now. Um, with this new with this new game, it's on the Switch. You can take it on the go. Like I think I think um, it, it makes sense to me. Yeah, it's still just, like, that 70% number, I was oh, like, yeah. holy shit. Like, that, and, yeah. and again, not including digital. Like, that's a that's a big, big increase. And that's awesome to see. Like, I'm glad that the game has been such a success. 
Um, and then they said, this is the next one. Super Smash Brothers Ultimate sets a new launch month dollar sales record for a platform exclusive in video game history, exceeding the, the launch month dollar sales of 2010's Halo Reach. Oh, wow. Oof. Yeah. Um, so it can't be <laughs> understated how, or overstated how well Smash Brothers is doing right now. Uh, so, Love to hear it. You know, then there, there's some other ones that are tossed out that are kind of predictable. Red Dead was the best-selling game. Black Ops is the third best-selling game. Um, you know, whatever. NBA 2K took the top sports title. Third year in a row that it took that. Uh, this I thought was interesting. And, and then, you know, we can, we can move on. Um, there's just one or two little more things about Nintendo. Uh, Mario Kart 8 finished 2018 as the second best-selling racing game of all time. Including only are trailing only behind Mario Kart Wii and Lifetime dollar sales. That's a re-release, guys. <laughs> wow, That's crazy! Uh, for the first time since 2009, Nintendo is the highest software revenue generating publisher of the year. <laughs> Makes sense. Amazing. Big year for them, man. It's gonna be another big year for them. Yeah, right. That's that's the beautiful part of it. Um, Nintendo Switch generated the highest December month hardware sales for a single platform since the Nintendo Wii in December 2009 and achieved the highest December unit sales for a single platform since 2010. It's their year. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> like, all of these are like, hey, they broke records. Like, the Switch is on fire, dude. Uh, Nintendo Switch ends 2018 as the year's best-selling hardware platform in both units and dollars. Annual unit and dollar sales of the Nintendo Switch are the highest annual total for any hardware platform since the PlayStation 4 in 2015. Holy shit. Yeah, man. And this is the most console hardware unit and dollar sales since 2009 as well, which was probably attributed specifically to the Wii. Um so yeah, this is just a huge, huge year for Nintendo. They killed it, and uh, I mean, no surprise, right? But um, it's it's great to see these numbers and to see that like the industry is in a place that's like not just healthy but stable and growing. And it's funny to look at these numbers now and think back on the end of the last console generation when so many analysts were like, consoles are dead. This is the last console generation. <laughs> and if you read Jason Trier's book, a lot of publishers were afraid of that. You know, there was a huge thought that it was going to start moving towards iPad and mobile and streaming and all these things that just never really were able to, to, to match traditional console gaming. And for me... I'm so happy to see that. I'm so happy to see Nintendo back on top. I'm happy to see a healthy Sony, a healthy Microsoft, and a healthy industry. For sure. So yeah. I know I'm I'm usually the one that gets most excited to pour over numbers like these, so I hope I didn't bore you guys too much, but I thought these are some really, really impressive figures that I thought were worth worth discussing. They were certainly numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of numbers uh, that are surprising, uh, as of today, when you're listening to this episode, Kingdom Hearts 3 is out. Oh, it is shit, in the wrong. wild. It is wrong. It is in hands everywhere. No. Uh, we, can't, <laughs> we can't claim this crap so when it doesn't happen, we're going to be labeled as liars. Don't, 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 yeah, guys, Pete, please, you're, please. You're going to be embarrassed. When they <laughs> on Tuesday, yeah, when every single shipment, every single truck ma magically flipped over. Uh, stop! And they're all lost in transit. Every 
Every boat sank. Every copy every of Kingdom Hearts 3. And, <laughs> every copy and the servers of it. broke. You can't digitally download them either. What a surprise. The, every copy of the game and the code ended up in a ditch somewhere in Arizona. Yeah. yeah. Next to E.T. <laughs> so, God willing, Kingdom Hearts 3 is out today. And people are into it. Uh, I don't know if you guys have checked out some of the preliminary reviews. They've been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, and I want to borrow a little game that Sean likes to play with us over on the Comics Pals whenever we do a film or television review. So I'm right now on Metacritic looking at, um, you know, basically the the critic and the user reviews. And I want to, uh, you know... I want to get a guess from you guys. or I'm sorry, not their user reviews because the game's not out yet, obviously. Um, but we're going to take a look at the critic reviews, and I want you guys to guess what where you think it's sitting at right now on Metascore. Hmm. 95. Okay. I'm bold. 92. Okay. I'm going to split the difference. Go 93. All right. So none of you win because we play by Jeopardy rules, and uh, all of you went over. Um, but Thompson was right, the closest. Pete. Oh, Price is Right. Whatever. I don't... Whatever. Um, and the actual meta score is 89. Uh-huh. Right now. Which I think uh, probably fair. Um, but if you take a look at, like, some of the, you know, review scores from the, the major outlets, uh, Game Informer gave it a 9.5. Um, US Gamer, 4.5 out of 5 stars. Uh, IGN, like, main IGN gave it an 8.7 out of 10. Uh, Games Radar four out of five. Gamespot eight out of ten. So you know that's that's kind of you know where we're where we're sitting at when it comes to the average here. Uh, are you guys surprised by that number? I'm not because in my experience, most games journalist types games journalist types have some love for Kingdom Hearts, and honestly, most of the reviews, like even the positive ones I've read, have been like, if you like Kingdom Hearts, you're gonna fucking love this game. If you don't like Kingdom Hearts, you're going to be very confused by this game and not enjoy it very much. <laughs> yeah, this is not the game that's going to change your mind. <laughs> yep. Um, to to borrow the very end of uh, Tim Rogers' review for Kotaku, what I'm saying is Kingdom Hearts 3 kind of sucks, and that's why I love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's, it's funny because I think, like, at least Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2, because those are the only ones that I've played, they also kind of suck. Um I, they're 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 amazing games, but like the controls are a little weird. Kingdom Hearts uh, one camera, specifically, yeah, yeah. Um, but it it is what it is. I don't know. Yep. I don't know how else to say it. Like, if you like it, you like it. Yeah. And, you know that that you know what it is, man. Like they have a special sauce, and it's hard to define what it is because it certainly ain't the dialogue. No, but in the same the same thing though, like people love the story, and that's the weird part about it's it. It's so weird because like I've played the first probably ten hours or so of Kingdom Hearts a couple times, uh huh, and like maybe the first three hours of Kingdom Hearts two, and it's like I I can understand and I can see why people like the story, but man, are the sentences that characters say just so weird and poorly written? Born in darkness, living in darkness, such is the nature of hearts, Andy. <laughs> Uh, so I, I think it's funny because like, um, like the IGN reviewer who covered it is a guy named Jonathan Dornbush and he's like a huge Kingdom Hearts fan and he has one of the lower scores on this list. Like I said, 8.7. Um, and I think 
I think his summation or the pull quote that they have, at least on Reddit here, um, it, I think it, it hits the nail pretty well. Where he says, Kingdom Hearts 3 is a fulfilling evolution and resolution of the franchise that shows it's still full of heart. I think that's the thing. Kingdom Hearts is full of heart, no pun intended. Even though there are so many things about it that suck and don't make sense or are just weird. But I don't... I don't know. There's something about it. There's something about it that's always appealed to me. And maybe it's because it caught me when I was young. And I was more open to weird, wacky shit like that. Um, but I'm I'm really excited to get my hands on it. And I'm excited to talk about it with you, Sean. I can't even tolerate this kind of thing anywhere else on Earth. I know. Like... <laughs> I know. I don't... I don't get it. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I don't mess with anime. I don't mess with, like, you know, like, Persona games or any of that stuff. Like, Kingdom Hearts is everything. And it's weird. But I want it all. Um, I, I, I'm excited. And, and you know, we're talking about a game, Kingdom Hearts 2. The last one came out December 22nd, 2005. Okay? That's a long, long time Oh, my ago. God. So long, in fact... That I thought it might be interesting to talk about a few things that weren't true back then, that didn't exist, or what the world was like in 2005. All right, this is a so, fun exercise. Number- I can't take this. I'm gonna nostalgia too hard. I'm going to like a coma. <laughs> so George Bush was still president. Uh, he was. He was. Uh, he was still the president. Uh, flip phones were actually still the primary cell phone type. Uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe did not exist. And wouldn't have its Soldier first Boy, entry for three more years. Yeah. Soldier <laughs> Boy had yet to boss up. <laughs> In fact, he didn't exist. Uh, MySpace was the primary form of social media. In fact, social media wasn't even a term that we used. It wasn't ubiquitous in society yet. Dude, what a great time to be alive. Flip yeah. phones and no social media. Yeah. <laughs> and the it's last the thing I dark have ages. Uh, is uh, simply that uh, Netflix and other similar streaming services were not even off the ground yet. Netflix was doing the DVD thing at that point. Yes. <laughs> YouTube was not even a year old. Oh my god. And it was mostly yeah. filled with people just crashing and, like, people doing dumb stunts and just, like, making fools of themselves. Like, year yep. one, it was amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, 2005. What a time. Very different. What a time Great to have year. been alive. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's crazy because, like, to you, Sean, and to many Kingdom Hearts fans, that was the last time that Kingdom Hearts was around. If you're, like, a fucking <laughs> masochist like me... I've played almost every one of the weird spin-off side things, and fun fact, I still don't understand what's going on. I actually feel like like less of a person because I haven't played those games. <laughs> I'm tempted to <laughs> not play Kingdom Hearts 3 until I finish all of those games. Oh my god, no, Sean, don't do it. I might have to boss up and do that. I might have to boss up. <laughs> this is not, like... This is so monumental, and there's so much missing for me that I, I think I got to do it. Oh, my God. I wouldn't <laughs> you, listen. You might be overestimating your newly found free time. Some of those games are great, I and I still, wouldn't, I still wouldn't wish you playing all of those things through. It's like, that's a, I mean, I guess if you want to buy the, 
like re-release collections that they did and bang through them all on your PS4. Like, but I, I don't know, dude. I think there's still one of them that you have to play on the 3DS. I don't think that one's in the re-release collection. Dream Drop Distance. Yeah, yeah. that might be true. I'm not, oh, I'm not sure. What kind of name is that? It's 3D. 3D. Come on. Get it together, Thompson. You're <laughs> embarrassing me. That's What is this? I gotta say, Kingdom Hearts 3 is a letdown of a title after the majesty that is Kingdom Hearts 358 Days Over 2. I honestly... You know, these names are bonkers, man. I honestly think that them naming it Kingdom Hearts 3 is like the boldest <laughs> fucking thing in the world. Like, it's just like... <laughs> 3? Oh, it's bold. 3? Yeah. There are 14 fucking games in this franchise. Like... I have to look it up. What? I have to look up how many games there actually are. Hold on. So while Pete looks that up, I'm going to bring in the weird Japanese devs don't understand American streaming culture bit for Kingdom Hearts 3. Oh, yeah. Uh, so the Please. title screen... <clears throat> I can talk today. The title screen has a button prompt on it labeled before you stream. You press it up and it brings you a message about this game is a copyrighted work. You are free to stream this game in non-commercial contexts. However... Using the streams of the game to primarily provide or listen to the music is prohibited even in such non-commercial contexts. Nowhere do they describe what the difference between a commercial and a non-commercial context is. That's just... what, And it's like, how can you have a non-commercial stream if you're a streamer? Like, if you're a streamer with any level of audience, people give you subs and tips when you stream. So, like, right. is that a commercial stream? Do they only mean, like, if you're, like trying to promote a product or something like what is the line there like is ign streaming the game a commercial stream like i don't what does that mean i have no fucking idea thanks it's a friendly warning from your from, from uh nintendo just to basically keep you on your toes like maybe they want to be ambiguous so they're just like nobody will fuck around with streaming too much if this will weed out the chaff you know it's <laughs> like, <laughs> up here you know get rid of the weak ones Okay, so I have the list here, and I'm gonna take oh, no. you. I'm gonna take you through the names of every Kingdom Hearts game. So there's Kingdom Hearts, 2002. Then we 2004 Chain of Memories, Kingdom Hearts 2, 2005, Re Chain of Memories, which was the re-release on PS2 that came in 2007, uh, Coded, which was the mobile game, uh, 358 over two days. Uh, in 2009, which was the... Can we can we pause right there? I'm sorry. What the hell does that mean? Does anyone know? I do. Uh, so that game is the backstory of Roxas and his relationship with Axel and the other members of Organization 13. So it's like the 358 days he existed before Sora like came back. Nice. Why, why is it oh, over two, cool. though? Yeah. Because it's like the second game. Is that what happens? You gotta play it. <laughs> I'm not playing it ever. <laughs> no. uh, I I don't honestly I don't remember the answer to that question. I'm sorry. I played this right, well, game. So the two is I played this game in 2009. I don't remember what the two is. Right, um, uh, then they have Birth by Sleep, uh, which was the PSP game, and Recoded, which was the re-release of the mobile game. Uh, <laughs> then there's Dream Drop Distance, which is the 3DS game, 2012. <laughs> then we have 1.5 Remix, 2.5 Remix, and Unchained. Uh, 1.5 and 2.5 are obviously the re-releases of 1 and 2. Unchained was another mobile game. Then there's 2.8 Final Chapter Prologue. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. Which is another <laughs> another collection to bring all the games on one platform. That was in 2017. And now we have the VR experience that came out. And then Kingdom Hearts 3, finally. What a fucking ride, you guys. Yeah, seriously. Wow. It's time. And then... It's all led to this. It's time to boss up. Even if you get the game and fucking burn through it in a day, you gotta wait until later this week when the secret ending patch drops. Yo, you think I'm gonna burn oh. through this game in a week? You're high. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. If you sat down and did nothing but play Kingdom Hearts, apparently you can finish the story in like 30, 40 hours. There's probably 80 fucking hours of cutscenes alone, even if you're <laughs> like god at this game. That you're going to have to sit through, like, 20 movies worth of time. Listen, talk shit all you want. I'm dripping wet with excitement. <laughs> I'm not saying that's a bad thing, because Persona's got the same shit going on, too, and it's got an anime attached to it. I can't like... wait. I cannot fucking wait to listen to a bunch of weird anime people wax philosophic about the nature of hearts while fucking Woody and Buzz stand in the background like, <laughs> Like, I can't wait. I can't wait. Also, I want to share an anecdote with you all. Andy Brown broke my fucking heart this week. So Andy messages me on January 25th, which is the date that the game released in Japan. And he goes, hey, man, like, how are you enjoying Kingdom Hearts 3? I I imagine that you started playing it at midnight last night. And I was like, what? Did I miss it? I thought it was coming out on the 29th. What happened? Like, what? what?" And I I panicked. And I immediately went to Amazon and canceled my pre-order. Because I was like, it's not showing up until the 29th. I got to go download it. Oh, my God. You can't get the game until the 29th. So I I canceled my pre-order for no reason. And was like, I can't wait. I get to play it in, like, two hours when work's over. And then I couldn't. <laughs> but a similar thing. Go ahead. I, I was just going to say that it was super funny because Andy goes, oh, my God, I'm so sorry for getting your hopes up. And I was like, Andy, I'm a Kingdom Hearts fan. I'm used to it. <laughs> That's true. There's a moral to the story. <laughs> so go ahead, a, Sean. What were you going to say? A similar thing happened to me. I was watching NXT TakeOver on Saturday, and it was actually it's funny. The, the show was sponsored by Kingdom Hearts 3. What? And... Fuck? Okay. That's a fucking match know. made in heaven. Right. And so they obviously were talking about it, and they ran a trailer, and it said, out now. And I was like, oh, God, what happened? <laughs> when? I thought, I thought Resident Evil was, was Friday, and Kingdom Hearts was Tuesday. What happened? And so I freaked out, and then I... Looked and I saw, you know, what you just said. Well, and you know what fucked with me too was that when Andy said this, I was like, no fucking way. And I went to Google and was like, Kingdom Hearts release date, and it and it tells it told me January twenty fifth. I was like, oh my god, it's out, it's out right now. Oh my god, we got we got Horrible. we got fucking played, dude. Punked. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Wait a minute. I didn't know this until just now. Have I been sleeping on the fact that Haley Joel Osment's been Sora in every Kingdom Hearts? Yes, he's been, yes. He, he's been Sora since the OG. Jesus Christ. Yeah. I don't know why I find that so weird, but like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's, it's just another weird layer to the beautiful tiramisu that is Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> Man, what a posh dessert. Oh my gosh. Kingdom Hearts is, like, it sounds li- like, 
If you guys have ever seen uh, Donald Glover stand up, he has this thing uh, in his like what his special called Weirdo, where he's talking about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and he says that they sound like the fever dream of a homeless person, and that's <laughs> that's Kingdom Hearts, like. <laughs> The fever dream of a homeless person? Yeah. No, that's like the fever dream of, like, a world dictator. Like, that's someone who's gone mad and drank too much lead water, like a Roman emperor or something. Oh, my God. But either way, I'm so goddamn excited to play this game. Like, no matter how good or bad or whatever it is, I just can't believe it's finally real, and I finally get to play it. And next week, I'll have takes for you. Oh, my God. It's weird. I just saw my favorite detail about Kingdom Hearts 3 that might make me actually play the game now. Hit me. That's so weird. In that's just the Let It Go scene from Frozen. Like, the entire song is in the game. Oh my god. It apparently cut back from Elsa singing to Sora, Donald, and Goofy being like, what? Oh my god. (laughs) I I can't wait for this fucking dopey game <laughs> i'm so excited you guys oh all right hell yeah okay i i could literally talk about how hype i am for kingdom hearts 3 for another 45 minutes so let's let's move on i can't wait to talk more about it next week sean you gotta promise me that you're gonna play it this week all right i guarantee that i will have takes on kingdom hearts all right Next Sunday. Please, don't don't have me have another Spider-Man situation where I bring my PlayStation 4 on a trip so I can play it because I'm so excited and all I want to do is play it, talk about it with my buddy Sean. And you're like, I got like an hour into it. Please. <laughs> I got it. You're the only one, man. You're the only one. We got it. We got to do this together. This is a different. Listen, new year, new me. Okay. This is a different time. All right. And on top of that, this Kingdom Hearts, my friend, this is this is special. What other game, what other franchise has people burning with anticipation the way that Kingdom Hearts does right now? Nothing. None. Nothing. This is everything. I, and I, I think, you know... Uh, with the whole New Year, New Sean thing, right? Like, it's 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 Sean recoded. 358 sleep, over whatever. two Seans. <laughs> Yo, can we talk real fast about what the hell that means? Birth by sleep? <laughs> What's that? It sounds like some kind of demonic presence. Like, it's not something good. <laughs> you don't have something like, oh, that thing was birthed by the sleep. Uh, oh, okay. To it's me- like a demon that follows you around then. <laughs> to me, it very much... It very much feels like a thing that probably makes sense in Japanese, you know. And <laughs> yeah. then, like the translation is just like that's that's the rough translation. It's like, well, roughly that means nothing. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! So, all right, so moving right along, uh, Anthem had its uh, VIP demo out uh, this weekend, actually. So anybody who pre-ordered the game or um, there's like one other way that you could get into it. I think if you were like on EA Origin or whatever, you could get early access to it as well. And it went pretty rocky, uh, according to a lot of the people that played it. There were there were a number of problems with uh, with the the test, and um, there was a uh, update on the Bioware blog from Chad Robertson, who is the uh, head of live service, and basically was talking about some of the challenges that they faced and um, and what they're planning on doing here. 
Yesterday was rocky. The first day of our VIP demo weekend did not go exactly as we planned, and I want to share what happened. We've been testing the entire game and platform for several months, but there were a few things we missed. Real-world play frequently leads to unexpected issues. Before I share details on this and what we're still facing, I want to dispel one comment that we've seen, that we underplanned for server capacity. To ensure stability, we intended to manage our servers to match the player population as it grew. Overall, we had excess capacity prepared for population increases and continue to do so. That said, what's important is that all parts of the game work as designed to meet players' needs, and that did not happen in the opening hours. While there are a number of issues we dealt with yesterday, three primary areas were platform connections. This was caused by a spike in players entering the game when we opened up. Unfortunately, these issues did not present themselves during our initial testing. Or internal testing, excuse me. Investigations are ongoing and we will continue to apply fixes throughout the weekend. Entitlements. These are account flags that grant players things like their pre-order incentives and demo access. During the demo weekend, we identified a bug where VIP players with a specific combination of entitlements were being blocked from accessing the demo. We believe we've resolved most of these, but have additional cases we are addressing. Infinite loads. This is occurring for some players, particularly when they transition from Fort Tarsus uh, to an expedition. We saw this only in isolated cases during internal testing and believed it was resolved. Unfortunately, the problem is exacerbated in the real world where differences with players' ISPs and home networks introduce new behavior. Today, our top priorities are to continue to resolve any reports of issues with login and entitlement problems, implement fixes to address infinite loads... I want to be upfront that this is a difficult one and something that we may not resolve during this weekend. Many players are not seeing this issue, and the last thing we want to do is destabilize the experience for everyone. Improve server performance. We've heard reports of rubber banding and other signs of server latency. We believe we can address this, and we'll be conducting some small-scale experiments to confirm... Uh, confirm that. We may roll out some fixes this weekend, or we may wait for the open demo next weekend, depending on the level of risk to overall service. Um, so while we had problems, we also had many players enjoying the game. It's been incredibly humbling to see so many people watching along with us on Twitch, over 300k concurrent viewers yesterday, and over 100 million minutes watched. Those are Fortnite-type numbers. Thank you for your support. Our goal is to get everyone into the demo and having fun together. We appreciate everyone's patience and sincerely apologize for those who have had issues getting into the game. As a token of appreciation for your enthusiasm and any issues you encountered, we're giving everyone who participated in the VIP demo weekend an additional new vinyl at launch. We believe we've created an amazing game and we're doing everything we can to ensure our entire community can enjoy it. We've committed to keeping an open conversation with our community as part of our live service well into the future. We'll have some cool news to share soon for our plans for the game after we launch. Stay tuned. And then there's a thing where if you're having problems, you can reach out to the, uh, you know, the, the support team or whatever. Uh, stronger together, Chad. So I, I wanted to bring this up because I thought this was interesting. Because Anthem is uh, still a really big question mark for me. I love Bioware. They're one of my favorite developers. And I want to like Anthem. I want to give Anthem a shot. But a lot of what we've seen has not really been appealing to me. The overall like loop of the game isn't something I'm super into. And it seems like a lot of the like Bioware-ness of it all is not necessarily there. And all that being said, though, I think one of the other things that has really been talked about is that it, it feels like the game is maybe being rushed a little bit, which we've seen EA do time and time and time again. February. Do you know when it's coming out? Uh, let me look Supposedly? up the... Is it? Like they're, they're in beta. In the back half right. of February. I'm, I'm going to make sure, because I can't remember if it's February 18th or like... the. Well, it's soon is what I mean. Yeah. And they're in the beta, and it... To, Febu- to February said about To address what you said about it feeling rushed, like... Didn't it feel like this game had a while to go still? 
and it's like all of a sudden they're in the beta, it really felt like it was still being made, you know? And I, I wonder if a month and a few more open testings is going to be enough to fix all these problems before the launch. I don't think that it's impossible by any stretch of the imagination. Games have come back from worse bugs in less time. But given my overall like concern about the trajectory of Anthem, I this makes me nervous. This? I've been nervous about this game for years. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I, think there's a question. I, off the top of my head, I can't think of a single game that's been hyped this much that has seemed so dead on arrival. I, I can't... That was It was just clear that the game was going to be bad. I can't think... Or that no one cared about it. I can't think of a game like that ever before. It's got... It's interesting. It's got the, what, 300k concurrent viewers on Twitch and million... And so, like, I wonder if that's just people checking in to see how, how, how like, confirmed, you know... Um, I don't think that's people enthusiastically necessarily watching. Yeah, you know? I don't know, though, man, because, like, I... That's one... This is one of those things where I really wonder, because I feel like... If you're in, like, the video game echo chamber uh, on Twitter, like, there's a lot of negativity around Anthem. But, like, I wonder how many average players, like, the kind of people that we talk about, you know, who are, like, not necessarily casual gamers, but, like, casual hardcore, you know? Where, like, the kind of person where, like, you maybe you play Destiny and you buy, like, NBA 2K and, like, one other game a year or whatever and, like, that's what you play and that's, that's what you're down for. And, like, I wonder if some of those people are those people tuning in for that Twitch stream. Like, I don't know. Like, cause would those same people go to Twitch to watch the reveal stream? You know what I mean? Like I, I don't really know where the overall conversation on Anthem is. Cause it feels really negative, but then they had all these people watching. So it, I mean, look, 300,000 people. Let's be, let's be realistic. If, the, if this, if 300,000 people bought this game, and that was it. Would this be a success? I mean, no, it'd be a huge failure. Exactly. But, you know, it's one of those things that, like, that 300,000 people are probably, you know, they're, like, probably, like, core people, you know, that, like, want to check out that kind of footage and shit like that. So it's, like, I don't know if that's representative of a bigger number of people who are actually interested in it or if, like, what Thompson's saying, maybe it is people who are just showing up to see what it looks like because they're skeptics like us. Right. I don't think that there are only 300,000 people who are into this game, sure. but I certainly don't think that there are three that those 300,000 people were all into the game. Sure. Because yeah. There are lots of people who just go on Twitch and look for whatever's there to have something to watch. And that's a contributor. Um that's a lot different. He, you know, he says those are Fortnite numbers. Well, people watching Fortnite and people watching this, I think that's a different that's a different thing. Um, you may be right. Maybe there is a contingent of people who are just silently like hyped for this game and all that. It's possible. Anecdotally speaking, I don't know a human who's who's looking forward to this. Um, but that doesn't mean much. I just it feels like there's nothing about this game that's like hype. You know? Um, yeah, I agree. I, I don't know. I because I really think that there's a lot of people out there. Like me, who are like, I love Bioware and I want this to be good because I want Bioware to succeed. But I'm not super into this pitch at all. Like, 
the gameplay loop does not seem like it's my kind of thing. Like, I'm not a Destiny or an MMO type person. And I don't really, like, get much of a sense of identity from the story. And, like, that's the thing that Bioware does best. Yeah, man, I've I've said before uh, that this game on the surface has literally everything I should love, right? It's It's got sci-fi stuff it's got like mech suits you know perfect like um it's bioware uh this game really like is the perfect mix of ingredients but there is, i have no interest in this game at all and that, that that's like really hard to say considering i love a lot of you know stinkers out there sometimes um the fact that this like has every single thing in it that i should love and i still don't like it is a cause for concern for me you know there's yeah. nothing that's grabbed me ever about this i don't I've never felt like this way about any game in my entire life. It's it's strange, you know what I mean? I can't pick anything out that has once been like, wow, like I need to sit down and do that. And the thing is, it doesn't look bad either. No, it doesn't. That's like, the frustrating thing about it. It just But there's nothing it's so neutral. Yeah, <laughs> like, like it's, it's just the most neutral game I've ever seen. There's nothing felt. about it that wows me. And the only the only yeah. thing that makes me feel any different is that I know that there are a few, like, games journos or, you know, like, influencers, whatever, who I follow, who got to play the game well before this demo, you know, like, in closed beta situations, like, at, you know, E3 or whatever, and a lot of people said that the game plays really fucking well, that, like, it feels great to fly, it feels great to shoot, and maybe those are going to be enough to sway people over or to, like, win over people like us who are skeptical, but man, I just I don't know, and I want to. I want I want to like it. I want to buy it and give it a shot. But I just don't know if it's going to be worth plunking down the sixty dollars. So Pete, when uh, the scores come in, what number is your cutoff to buy this game? If it's any if it's any lower than like an eight, then I'm definitely not going to pick it up. If it's uh, I was thinking that too, like a hard eight. Eight, yeah, eight and a half, maybe. Yeah, if they do have like if it's if it if it's if it's a hard eight, I'm gonna be on the fence about it. If it's a yeah. anything lower than that, I'm definitely out. If it's a like high eight, low nine, or obviously anything above that, I'm gonna just give it a shot. I'm gonna buy it and I'm gonna so try it. There is an open mm. beta next weekend. Anybody can get access, to and it. anybody can get access to it. Same. I'm gonna give it a shot. Let's squad up. Yeah. Um, squad. Squad. I yeah. Let's PS4. do it. Yeah. Sean's got free time. Let's go. The hell no! I'm not playing this crap. <laughs> <laughs> if I want to play an Iron Man game, I have a bad Iron Man game on <laughs> PS3. I don't need to play. What this. if it's a good one though? I'm gonna play I, this so I can. For the one with Tony Stark in it. Ah, oh, nice. All right. I'm playing this now so that I can just get a feeling on it that isn't just what you know like this complete neutral out of i have no no interest in this so i have to try this now seriously let's let's the three of us let's let's squat up next weekend and give it a shot and like see how we feel about it and then we can talk about it the following week yeah honestly i I look forward to that at least i can finally settle my score on this game we'll do it it's such an anomaly we're gonna figure it out man we're gonna figure it out together as a group we're stronger together it's like this and the Atari box are just vexing me the most. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so our last news story before we get into our meat and potatoes discussion. 
uh, is Resident Evil apparently has a TV series in the works over at Netflix, according to the fine folks at Deadline. Uh, I'm in. <laughs> All right, that's the end of the story. <laughs> Uh, so this this comes from uh, Nelly Andrew Andriva. She's the one who broke the story, and uh, I'm going to just pull a little bit from her article, like I said, over at Deadline. Uh, Resident Evil is headed to television. I have learned that Netflix is developing a scripted series based on the hit action horror franchise. I hear the series will be a Netflix global original. German production and distribution company Constantin Film, which is behind the Resident Evil movies loosely based on the Capcom video game series, is the studio. Search is underway for a showrunner to shepherd the adaption. Uh, no one is commenting, but I hear the plan is for the series to expand the Resident Evil universe and will deepen the existing mythology. I hear the series will keep a basic premise, which also served as a setup for the movie franchise. The drama series will explore the dark inner workings of the Umbrella Corporation and the New World Order caused by the outbreak of the T-Virus. While the project is in early stages, the series is expected to incorporate all of Resident Evil's signature elements, including action sequences and Easter eggs. So, what do we think about this, aside from Thompson, who's all in? I I am so ready for this to be bad. But yeah, that's why I want it. It's gonna I, be shit. <laughs> I, I want it to be good so, so, so bad. Because I think that Resident Evil, like, you know, we've all, we've all talked about zombies, they're passe now, whatever. I think that the story of Resident Evil is... It has the potential to be a Walking Dead that people will jump into again because it has a focus that the Walking Dead doesn't have. The Walking Dead is real open-ended. All right, zombies ended the world. Here's new civilization. It's a character drama. You know, it's all about right. the people and their interpersonal relationships, not what happened. Right. Resident Evil is going to give us villains who were behind this it's gonna give us corporations i love evil corporations uh it's gonna give us cops and heroes of that ilk um and punching boulders yeah like if you've (laughs) ever played a resident evil game especially the first one the first couple the everything about the way that those games play out is something that i feel would make a lot of sense on television way more than movies Anything with, they said with Umbrella, so anything with Wesker is yeah already sold me, you know, right off the bat. He's the ultimate mysterious asshole, and he's got the 4D chess going on for every game. And it's it's incredible to think that, like, one of the best ideas I ever thought for, for Resident Evil was that, that shitty uh, PlayStation game where they were, like, Umbrella Core or something. Um, that, that game was bad, but the idea was so cool to me. Like oh my god, from the from the umbrella side of point of view, like see all this stuff. That's already what this, they said they're going to have in the show. Perfect. Um, anything involving the origins of like the T virus, amazing, yes. amazing stuff. Zero, one, and two are or even three uh, as well. Amazing, um, centered around Raccoon City mostly and everything. Yes. The movies that they made, the I actually like the shitty Resident Evil movies. And if you ever saw the last one that they did, it it actually, like, wrapped up the series, like, really awesome. Like, in a really interesting, awesome way. Like, I know the, the movies are, like, really off from the video games, right? They're just kind of doing their own thing at one point or another. But the final movie is, like, really, really good. It's 
pretty damn amazing to see where it went. Like that there actually was like a way to do this really well. And I can't spoil it cause it's actually that good. Um, so this makes me really excited for this, that they're going to be behind the series because, uh, yeah, I lost faith at one point, but man, that final movie really, really wraps it up, man. So, uh, you guys can't see this cause we're not recording video for this podcast, but my eyeballs are literally hanging out of my face because I rolled them I so bet. hard during the description of this I... television series. Oh my god, <laughs> it's going to be terrible. Like, I love the Resident it's Evil games. It's going to be games, good for me. But like, oh, I do... What did you hear that sounded bad? I do not need the dark inner workings of the Umbrella Corporation and the New World Order caused by the outbreak of the T-Virus. What? Why, Why don't you That's not? Resident Why Evil. is it perfect? My, that my is feelings Resident about Evil. shadowy corporations and mysterious bad guys is they work a lot better when they're shadowy and mysterious, and I don't need to see the inner workings of them. Give me the games. Give me Leon, Jill, Chris, and Claire. Give me, like, dark character dramas and things happening. Don't give me, like, the politics of the Umbrella Corporation. Don't give me a It's new not politics. Order. It's men turning into monsters and killing their... Com- Patriot. It's just it's it's the best part of Resident Evil, William Birkin and stuff. Everything. It's amazing. Like they could go into any of those stories. Uh, oh my god! You Andy. can't. Yeah, you can't. You can't tell the story of Resident Evil without going into those things. That just is Resident Evil. That'd be a, that's a different show. That's that's Walking Dead. Walking Dead is whatever happened is shadowy and mysterious we don't know resident evil is diving into exactly what happened and who did it and why i'm and then killing them i'm very not about this i was not about the movies i like the games i played the demo of resident evil 2 it was fucking scary i'm gonna play it eventually when i have the budget for it but yeah i'm out on resident evil the netflix television program man break my heart yeah, it's okay though. I, I'm not super interested in this either. I like I'll, I'll see how it plays out. Like if it's good, like I'll watch it, you know. But um, yeah, this this didn't like move the needle for me too much. See what me Thompson as per usual. Yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I got it. I'll watch this show. I'll love it. Um, I'm the one who said let's watch Castlevania, and you ended up liking it, Pete. So I did. You know what? You can be wrong. I'll give this a shot. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't say I'm, I'm not. I'm not down on it like Andy. I'm just like what? I don't really have much attachment to Resident Evil. You know, it's like I, I, played... I didn't expect Andy, but Pete, I'm surprised by you. <laughs> my, my thing is like I just I don't have the love for Resident Evil that a lot of other people do. I played Resident Evil one fair. B- very briefly as a child, and it terrified me. And then I played Resident Evil seven. I didn't finish it, but I liked it. So it's like That's Resident fair. Evil's cool. Like I like I I get Give it. That, man. Its legacy is important, and like I I I dig some of the things that it does. But it's just not a franchise that I'm like connected to, and like we I already know what a bad Resident Evil movie looks like, so I can imagine what a bad Resident Evil TV series looks like. It wasn't like when it was like, oh, like Netflix is making a Castlevania show and Warren Ellis is writing it and it's this sleek, you know, like Western anime style. And I was like, all right, like I don't really give a shit about Castlevania, but this looks like my shit. Whereas for this, I'm just like, ah, we'll see. Hmm. Resident Evil has the power to make zombies great again. So it, it does. They can't put this show out any quicker. I am so pumped. It's Netflix. Netflix is quality stuff most of the time. Can't wait. 
Give me all the Resident Evil. I'm out. I'll review it. I'll watch it. Let's do it. <laughs> well, it's like three out of four dentists Good. agreeing on, if you're, on that one if toothpaste. you're out on that, I'm out on Detective Pikachu. No! No, oh, Andy, Andy, you now have to watch Resident Evil. You have to watch uh, it. You gotta watch at least the first episode. I'm sorry. Give us that. We need, I need you to be the contrarian dick in the room. Yeah, you need to you need to label why it's wrong and you know point it out like it was a court case. Here's it's practice. What uh, here's what I'm fingers <laughs> crossed for: troubled production cycle, and then ultimately we're stepping away from this project. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like three, it's like three years delayed, and you're just like, oh fucking thank, thank God! God. <laughs> Dodge this bullet for another six months. Oh my God! Oh my gosh! All right, so our last story this week is going to take us into our meat and potatoes discussion. Uh, Fortnite is making some major changes to the way that loot boxes work in their save the world mode uh, that could potentially have major ramifications for loot boxes in the future. Uh, So I thought this was super interesting, and I'm interested to hear what you guys have to say about this. Uh, There is a a little article from uh, Kotaku's Zaxweizen. Yeah. Uh, And I'm just going to read this and catch you all up, and then we we can dive in. So the loot llamas in Fortnite's Save the World are changing and becoming less random. Currently, loot llamas work like most other loot boxes. Players buy them and open the llamas to find out what random items they've received. Epic Games has announced that the up- an upcoming update will soon change this process. In the update, V-Buck llamas are becoming X-Ray llamas. Before buying these new X-Ray llamas, players will have the, abil- uh, the ability to see exactly what they are going to receive. If players don't like anything inside the llama, they can wait until the next day when the contents inside their llama will change. This change will also show players if a llama is going to upgrade, which happens randomly and improves the loot inside. Epic is also taking steps to make sure that the contents of these x-ray llamas are not filled with duplicate items. For example, if the loot llama was planning on giving you a rare shotgun, the game will try to give you a rare sh- uh, a shotgun that you don't already have in your collection, book, or schematics inventory. Other llamas in Save the World, like mini llamas and event llamas, will not be changed to, into x-ray llamas. These loot box changes are only happening in Save the World, so not the Battle Royale mode. Uh, and llamas in Fortnite Battle Royale will continue to work the same way they currently do with no changes. So I thought this was interesting because I think it it's definitely obviously part of a longer, broader conversation we've been having for a long time on this show. Um, but I think... I don't think that these changes are being made altruistically, right? I would imagine that this is in response to the increased heat on loot boxes uh, and some of the, you know, international, um, or not international, I guess I shouldn't say, but some of the bodies from other countries like Belgium have ruled that these are gambling and that, um, you know, that will probably have broader ramifications for the future of loot boxes in other similar territories. So to me... This seems like them trying out this new loot box, you know, style on the least popular or the less popular part of Fortnite. Because obviously people still play Save the World mode, but it's nowhere near the Battle Royale numbers. So this seems like a pretty safe way to experiment this without immediately dinging a bunch of revenue if it ends up not being as lucrative as they might hope. But all that aside with that little bit of context what do you guys think about this news and do you think that um, do you think I'm on uh, onto something with my my not my predictions but what my interpretation of these events yeah I mean I think it's a interesting idea I think that you're probably right and there's a reason this is in save the world and not battle royale first but I think it could end up being like 
pretty solid. Um, I like the idea of being able to see what's in your your loot before you unbox it. But I'm not super sure looking at the article if it shows you before you open the llama or before you buy the llama. My interpretation of it is that you can see what you'd be getting okay. before you spend money. That's pretty cool. Says before buying these new X-ray llamas, players will be able to see exactly okay. what they're going to receive. Okay. Yeah. Uh, to me, this is th- this is exactly what you think. E- even a llama could see what it is <laughs> that they're trying to do. Th- this is like very, very um, transparent, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Per se, I don't think that they're harming anyone by trying this out. I think a lot of companies, a lot of publishers and developers are going to have to start thinking about what their world looks like when they can't sell traditional loot boxes. It's going to happen. I don't I, I mean, the way that the way that they're being pressed about this and the conversation surrounding this and how it ramped up in 2018, I just don't think that in the near future you'll be able to just have traditional loot boxes so they're you know they're getting ahead of it and they're trying to figure out a way to you know continue to make money through this system without you know according to you know a lot of different bodies exploiting people um i think that if anyone's going to you know provide the path forward it's probably epic just because of how they've kind of in a lot of ways been an industry leader and that's cool but i don't care about loot boxes one way or the other so other than to say that um i don't agree still with the assessment that they're they're annoying but they're i don't think that they're wholly negative um and uh, yeah that's all i got to be honest so I, I, I actually – something that you just said um, spurred a thought in me. I, I like this as an alternative because I definitely would say I fall more on your side of the argument when it comes to like the our loot boxes gambling of it all. I would say no. I would say that they're way more akin to like buying a pack of Pokemon cards or like a gotcha machine. You know, We've had that conversation plenty of times. Um, so no need to re- rehash that. But I think this – what I like about this is I think one of the most compelling arguments for the pro-gambling side is that there is a reality to the connection between the way that loot boxes work and triggering the same endorphin rush that people get from gambling in terms of like the whole, I spent my money, I'm going to open this, I know that there's a thing I want, and I get to see it shake with anticipation, and then it pops, and you know, like... Those things do set off, like, triggers in people in terms of, like, get like an endorphin rush or, like, getting pleasure out of that aspect of the loot box. And this sounds like you're removing a lot of those more, let's say, dubious elements, right, for a way that is transparent about what you're spending your money on. It's still random, but you know what you're getting, and you aren't having that same, like potentially exploitive uh you know 
I don't want to say mechanic, but like, I guess presentation of loot boxes. So this sounds like a, a pretty good compromise where, you know, the epics of the world can still cash in on this system without being accused of, you know, um, like you said, manipulating or taking advantage of people's weaknesses, whether that's true or not. It, the perception is more important. Hmm. Interesting because, like, them them using the transparent thing for it is just, like, akin to the whole, like, procedure that they want to provide for this. And, like, it's interesting, too. Like we said earlier, man, Fortnite isn't what it is because save the world. It's because of the Battle Royale. Yeah, um, 100%. So they can do whatever they want to do to that mode, I think, and it wouldn't matter. So, you know, adding adding a box where you can see what you get, there's nothing wrong with it, but uh, I, I am, yeah, I'm, I'm a little tired of loot boxes, like, this is what it's come to, that you have to find now the new way to, like, fit it in, you know, if there's, you know, it, it just got out of hand. I, I wish, uh, you know, I'm kind of with, like, Sean on this. It's like, Sometimes they're okay, but I'm like, damn, dude, it sucks. At least this one is good. You can see what you get. Hopefully, other people pick it up. Maybe that will, uh, you know, maybe that'll change other somewhere. I don't know. Or in the future, maybe someone will get the idea to do something similar to this and integrate it in a really meaningful way. Um, yeah, I trust them. I guess you know, like they've they've done they've done right by a lot of things. So it's a good testing ground, at least, and it could lead to something really good. You know. This is so weird, too, because on one hand, you could say, well, you know, you could you could argue, well, who on earth is in favor more of randomness when you make a purchase mm-hmm. than not, right? Yeah. Like, right? But, but at the same time, because of the way you work chemically, you're going to have a good time. If you open a random box or whatever and something in it is something that you wanted or needed. And that experience can be positive. The conversation around this always presents that as a wholly negative thing. And I don't think that's the case. Yeah, I agree. I've been playing card games for 20 years. And never one time ever in my whole life did I ever think... Wow, I'm being exploited right now. I just bought packs, opened them, liked what I got or didn't, and moved on. I don't know. I've I've also been playing card games on and off for about that time. Yeah. And basically, until I was older and realized there was a singles market, every time I opened a pack, I thought, man, it's fucking bullshit that I have to buy these in packs. Can I just get the ones I want? Like, I just spent 4 or $5 on this and got nothing I wanted or needed. Great, thanks. Yeah, sure. But, I, but then sometimes then you like get what you want. Fifty dollars on packs to find that one rare card. I thought, man, I would have just spent rather have spent thirty dollars on this one Yu-Gi-Oh card or whatever than fifty dollars on this one card and a hundred other ones. Yeah, and I think that that is. Obviously, you know, secondary marketing card games is the way to go when you're trying to, you know, get specific things. Um, but in in every card game I've ever played, and this is how these games survive, 
uh, because they don't make money off the secondary market at all. Um, I've always bought boxes because it's fun to open packs and I enjoy that process. And if people didn't enjoy that process, card games wouldn't exist anymore. So they're not even just like even just trading cards in general, right? Like baseball cards. That was the same appeal, right? There's obviously something about it that people enjoy that doesn't, that isn't like the conversation is always that it's harmful. It's not harmful in every case with every person. It's definitely more, it's not as black and white as that. It's just not. And I think that the conversation around loot boxes presents it that way. And I don't think that's right. And I agree with that because I, I don't think that like – I think because I agree with Andy uh, personally, right? Where like, yeah, it is fun to open packs of cards, um, but I got over that quickly because like when I started playing Magic the Gathering, like I immediately was like, oh, I'm just going to do the after sale market because I want to build decks and play the game, not open packs of cards, you know? Um, and I think – the fact that so many games don't give you an opportunity to get out of that system if you're not interested in it is a is a bigger problem to me than the, like the perceived um, harm of loot boxes. Because like I think a lot of people when they talk about that, it always comes back to well these are games for kids and like well, you think we should just be like exposing kids to like stuff that's like gambling and da 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 and it's just like man. If you're talking about like a 13 year old kid or an eight year old kid who's playing Fortnite. And spinning open boxes, where is that kid getting money from? Their parents. Yeah. Right? So, to me, it's personal responsibility. Like, on that level. Is that, like, yeah, maybe kids shouldn't be doing some of those things. Well, guess what? Kids don't have access to money. So, like, you're enabling them to do that as a parent by letting them piss away money or piss away your money on stuff in this way. And play into those things. And if you see that your kid has a problem with that stuff, guess what? That's your, also your responsibility as a parent to put a limit on it and to talk to them about the dangers of gambling, as it were, or like the dangers of wasting your money, you know? Like, I I just don't accept that argument because I don't think that loot boxes are harmful for a statistically significant number of people. So much so that it's like, oh, this is, you know, we're, we're raising a new generation of people who are going to be addicted to gambling because of loot boxes, you know? I just don't see it that way. We also don't have any evidence whatsoever to support that. They haven't been around long enough. Yeah, I always go back to the card game thing because it's the in my mind it's the exact the exact same, and there there was no rise of gamblers as a result of Pokemon and Yu Gi Oh and Magic in the nineties. It didn't happen. I will say though, there was an attempt at regulation on those things, similar to the way that there was for loot boxes. Because people always overreact. That's that's no surprise. Yeah, and I think, I think we're seeing something similar here. Where I don't, I I wouldn't necessarily argue that it's like a whole overreaction. I think that like there is a serious problem with loot boxes. They became a real plague on the video game industry over the last two years, and I think it's right for um, developers and publishers to be looking at new strategies to implement these in a way that's fair and uh, that doesn't turn off their consumers. But I I don't know that like the Belgium government needed to get involved and, and that sort of thing. You know, like that, that I, I agree that that seems like an overreaction. And again, that's a different conversation. Like I said, there's no one on earth 
who would rather not know what they're going to get than know what they're going to get when it comes to putting your money down on a loot box. It's just that that's not realistic. And loot boxes are annoying. I don't know any person who just loves loot boxes more than they would love not loot boxes. So if gamers are over it, then by all means. But that's a different conversation than the exploitation conversation. And I think realistically, gamers are not that over it. Because as much as you see a, a really vocal number of us out here talking against them, they generate billions of dollars a year for some of these companies, you know? Yeah, like, absolutely. The Overwatch community spent literally like a billion dollars on, on loot boxes in like 2017, you know? So like, obviously people don't hate it that much. Yeah. Or they don't hate it as much as they want stuff. <laughs> Which... They don't hate it as much as they hate themselves. Yeah, that's accurate. <laughs> uh, but so to take it back to the matter at hand here, what do you guys think about this solution from Epic? Do you think this is enough? Like, is this is this the direction you'd like to see loot boxes take moving forward, where it is just a transparency thing? I think that's dumb. To be to be really honest, I think if you're gonna do that, then just let me buy what I want. What's the point of offering me? a loot box when I already know exactly what's in it. Let me just get what I want. At that point, it's like a partially randomized store. Yeah. It, it doesn't really make sense. Yeah, rather than an a la carte system. Thinking about it like that, I think it just sort of moves the loot box, like, where the wall is. They tell you what the first one is, but, like, oh, you don't see the stuff you want behind it, and it doesn't change till tomorrow. So, like, yeah, I can buy this one and see what's in the next one, right? That's a good point. Yeah, that's yeah, so really two good boxes point. instead of one. Yeah. Or you just keep buying them until you get the thing that you want. Yep. Which, I mean, in that case, though, like, I actually kind of think that's fine. Because at least, I mean, like, it's the same problem, but, like, it is more transparent. And as someone who doesn't have, like, an inherent problem with loot boxes, I feel like that feels like a decent compromise. I would obviously rather there just not be loot boxes, dude. But honestly, when you describe it like, like that, like oh, so it's tra- it it does actually start sounding more like gambling now. If you were playing like poker or something, it's not the one I wanted. That's not the hand I wanted. I'll buy another hand in. You know, like every time, like uh, I don't know. It, it's it's starting to sound like when it's transparent. It, to me, I'm seeing wow. a small connection there, like yeah, blackjack or something like that. Like when it's transparent, I actually see the connection like that. The loot box itself, I don't think is like the gateway to the gambling thing like from but like it's, this way sounds a little closer it's interesting because when you say that it kind of reminds me of um and sean, sean you'll appreciate this reference uh there's a scene in the second season of punisher where they're talking about um i forget what the name of the game is but it's that sleight of hands card game where there's the two jacks and the queen and you gotta follow the queen you know oh, right. um and the whole thing is that like when you see your odds or when you like feel like you know what the odds are you're more likely to engage in that kind of behavior because you're like i can game the system now right right that's interesting yeah in all card games they're required to tell you what are the percentages yeah the well yeah more or less yes exactly when you look on the pack it tells you you're gonna get this for sure this for sure, and then maybe this. Right. And each box has this for sure, and so on. And You'll so forth. get this many commons, this many uncommons, and then exactly. you know, two things that'll either be rare or super rare or ultra rare. Exactly. Now I wanted to throw this out there. I play a mobile game, Marvel Strike Force. I've talked about it before. 
this game gets a lot of flack. One thing that it does that is interesting is that it has a store, sort of like what Andy just mentioned. And in that store, uh, every uh, eight hours, the contents of the store change. So every mm-hmm. eight hours, it'll it'll switch up. But if you buy something from the store, that's it. Like, there's a page full of things. If you buy one thing, that particular item is locked out. You can't buy it anymore for eight hours. That is the and- same as the Legion's card game I play on the phone, too. It has that, but you can also spend the in-game gold to get packs in that too. So there's single cards and packs. So there's there's both ends of it. But right. it's it's the same deal with the single cards though. It's like every eight hours they rotate out, and um, that's pretty much it. So, and I don't have any problem with that. Um, I think it's a fine system. Obviously, it does play on your because you know I, I, every eight hours I'm gonna look and see what's there. Right. Um, but that doesn't present a problem for me because I can choose to get what's there or not. If I need something, I pick it up. If I don't, I don't. I don't know. It's just weird that we even have to have this conversation because we're talking around a thing that no one wants. It's just it's just weird. It's a thing that yeah, we've accepted yeah. as like a, a necessary evil or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is where we are. It's It's like we definitely remember the times before it. And maybe that's that's what everyone has the, the nostalgia, the longing for. Um, but it's a thing, and if you know, if this helps anyone develop loot boxes in a more meaningful way, integrating into games, then at least it didn't hurt. Because <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, right? Is like I think a huge part of the problem with this is like we always want to compare things to the things of the past, and the industry isn't the same way it used to be. You know, like I think to to the joke point that Sean made earlier. We can look back on 2005 and remember things all we want, but that's not how games work anymore. You know, like, we also didn't used to have, like, games that you could download and play for free. You know? Like, is it wrong for Fortnite to have loot boxes if the game is free? Like, I don't know. You know, it's like, I think that moves the needle, too. And that's, I think, a big problem is, like, we don't have a set guideline of when they're acceptable and when they're not acceptable and how are they acceptable and how are they not acceptable? Because yeah, I agree with like the, the wild sh- west. Yeah. I, and we are, we are, you know, and right now everybody's like, Oh, you can make a billion dollars selling loot box. We got to put loot boxes in our game. That's what we saw over the last two years. That's how the video game industry works. Someone makes, has a good idea and then everyone else tries to copy it. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And I, I agree with the thing that Sean said, where I don't feel that loot boxes are inherently bad. I've played games where, like, I think Heroes of the Storm has a great system. It has a store where you can buy things a la carte. You can earn loot boxes by completing in-game, um, what is it? Quests. Quests, yeah. The quests. Or you can pay for them. That, to me, seems like the ideal system. Because then you get to consume the content or buy the content however you want. I think my biggest problem... With, like, Overwatch, for example, was I hate the loot box system in Overwatch. Because if you want a cool thing, you need to pay money, period. And I can't just be like, here's $5 for the skin I want. It's like, no, you need to put in, like, $30 so that you can roll boxes and hope that you get it in one of your boxes or that you get enough duplicates or gold that you can buy the thing you wanted. Which is bullshit. Just let me give you money for the in-game currency and give me the fucking thing I want. Like, I, I don't... I think I'd be way more comfortable with loot boxes across the industry if in multiplayer games specifically. They, they have no business in first-player games, period. That's my opinion. Um, if they were exclusively 
in game or, or not excuse me excuse me if they weren't exclusively the way to gain new content right like if there is an a la carte store where i can be like i don't want to fuck with that here's my money give me the thing i want that's that to me is the only concession they need to make because then you're you're leaving it up to personal choice if you want to roll and try to get the thing that you want for cheaper that's your prerogative and you know, there's a lot of mess with this point that I'm about to make that you could easily, you know, argue. Uh, and I understand every argument against it. But just, you know, point of fact, HOTS is a far less financially successful game than Overwatch is. Yep, that's true. That's very the true. The other thing with HOTS, too, is that, like, you get boxes for champion levels, which I thought was smart. You get incentivization to go to get the other champions that you haven't played here. Everyone's at level 10. You're not going to level up quick. Overwatch works that way too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just think for heroes having the store too. And I think that works great. Cause sometimes when new shit comes out and I haven't played for a bit, it was like, Oh my God, I can get four champions up to level five really quick. That's like 20 boxes. Like mm-hmm. just for fucking playing. It's just like, I think it's frustrating to me too, because you look at a game like league of legends and, like, League didn't add any sort of, like, box like that until, like, later. But I, yeah, I like the way that they, they do it. Because the way that they I, do yeah. it, it's not, hey, buy a box and see what happens. They do that event every once in a while where they're like, hey, you get a, bo- you get a box, basically, and you open it, and here's five discounts. Here's five skins at a discounted price. Are you interested in any of them? If so, buy them. I think that's a way more fair system. And, like... The otherwise, everything's a la carte. It's, oh, you want this skin? Well, here's how much it costs. Okay. And if you don't think it's worth that much money, well, okay, don't buy it. Yeah, they do have Now they have, the, like, capsules the, and stuff, like, too. They have actual boxes and keys, but you just get those through gameplay. And, like, you can buy them if you want. Right, yeah, but... which is different. But you don't have what? to spend money to unlock any of that stuff. Because you can also do the thing where you spin stuff down into essence or whatever, yeah. and it's like, you know... That that feels way more like a incentive to keep playing rather than them trying to get you to spend money. Yeah. And like, I don't know. I don't have a problem with like putting in a shortcut if you're like, oh, you don't want to make the effort? Yeah, you can give us $5 and get the skin or whatever. It's like, fine. That's fine. Like, I don't have a problem with people asking me for money in a free game. The last thing I have to say on this subject is something that I've said before, but it bears repeating because I believe it's a fact, and it's something that no one wants to talk about, and it's that the games industry needs to have a serious conversation about the ways in which it makes money, and a part of that conversation, even though I am not into it at all, has to be the $60 price tag for video games, and until that happens uh we're, we're gonna see companies scrambling to try to figure out ways to make money that do for people feel exploited exploitative and um that ain't changing and this is the only industry that i can think of that's like this every other industry it's pretty clear how you get things and they have a price tag and you pay it and you get it and that's all Video games are the only industry that, you know, people argue, try to shyst people to make more cash. On-disc DLC is the worst thing I have ever seen 
in my life in any form of entertainment as a way to get me to spend more money. I'll never get over that. And that's gaming that did that to me. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there's there's a reason that it's not a thing anymore. Yeah. You know? But, um, well, I hope not. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, Somebody might pull it off one day. <laughs> can't remember the last time it happened. Yeah, um, yeah. But, and I will say to Sean's point, I think, to me, uh, while the answer might be to increase the cost of games or, you know, to, like, have to have these systems like loot boxes and stuff like that, I also think that some of these companies need to take a long, hard look at what they pay some of their employees. Because we've been talking a lot about, um, and I believe you guys touched on this on the show while I was away, uh, we've been talking a lot about the whole Activision Blizzard drama where they're trying to get Blizzard to cut costs and ship more games and have threatened them with layoffs if they can't do that. Meanwhile, they gave their CCO, or not CCO, their CFO, uh, you know, a multi-million dollar bonus, and that's bullshit. That's corporate greed, man, and... Maybe video game companies don't need to be as big as Activision. Or if they do, they need to accept that, like, if you want to be the CEO or the CFO or whatever who makes, a you know, a $100 million bonus every year, maybe video games isn't the market for you. And we could get the suits out of gaming. because Unfortunately, there's, they're beholden to their investors, man, and they have to make that every time yeah you know? but that's the thing man it's but like the bonus to the like to the to the top people is clear bullshit yeah but that's the thing that, man is like maybe is... like maybe we shouldn't have publishers of that size like may, like if you can't sustain your business because you're giving people bonuses and you're threatening to lay off employees like that maybe that's the fucking problem you know and like Maybe you can get away with that in some other industries because the margins are different, you know? But, like, gaming's going to get to a point where you can't afford to make a boxed game for $60. And we've already ap approached that. And I think gamers have made it clear they're not willing to spend more money. So what's the alternative? You know, it's that maybe some of these companies are too big. Maybe some of these employees make too much. And they're it's not willing the to wrong spend people. You know? Because it's like... Uh, <laughs> like... They, you're right that if you're a publicly traded company, like you're beholden to certain masters, you know, and like that happens. But in the same breath, like we've had examples of great leaders of companies that were game designers first, you know, and that were not people that are like obviously every business's goal is to make money, but most game designers and developers are in it to make games, to make art. You know, and like, yeah, they want to profit enough to make their next game and not lose their job or see, have to fire employees after every round and all that stuff. Right. But like maybe it is the smaller indies and, you know, like one or two really big, massive companies. That's the future. Because like you look at a company like Nintendo, right? And when Satoru Iwata was their president and they had the one time in Nintendo's history, uh, like – as a as a popular game company where they were not profitable and what did he do he took a pay cut so that he didn't have to fire anybody he took a pay cut so that nintendo's books cooked out and made and and worked you know and like i think you need more people like that in leadership not a cco or sorry a cfo who's getting a multi-million dollar bonus the same year that you're threatening to lay people off while your company is extremely profitable and making a ton of money. But you need more. That's bullshit. And, like, maybe that's the thing that's not sustainable. 
that that's uh, that's a problem in business in general. Yeah, and you're definitely right. That there there is no industry in which that doesn't happen, and gaming is a, an extremely profitable industry, and you're never gonna get people like people. You're never gonna get those people at the top out of gaming, and Phil always makes the argument on the comics pals that if Disney, for example, were to be the only or one of or one of only two or three companies that can produce big budget films, that's a bad future, and you've agreed with that. But you also just said that you would you would be down for an industry in which there's one or two major publishers and then indies. Well, no, and I don't mean that that they're the only people that can afford to make big budget games, but I'm saying that they're the only companies that can afford to pay their uh, <clears throat> their senior, um, you know, like staff, not senior, but you know what I'm saying, like the 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 top one percent of the company, right? That kind of money, like maybe like you don't need to make that much money. And if you want to make that much money, maybe video games aren't the market for you. And we could leave video gaming to the people that are passionate about the medium, not the people who are like, well, I used to be in toys or movies or whatever, and this is the next step on my list to make more money. You know, like yeah, but those dude, kinds I mean, of people like, aren't helping the industry. They're not, but the thing is, gaming is still relatively new in that respect, and not every law like is there for what to do and not to. I mean, loot boxes are a great example right so that was a new thing that was discovered and oh my god we can make a truckload of money off this so it's going to attract people who are like i want to make money and i guess if i go into the gaming world i can pull some shenanigans and who's to stop me because there's no one saying this hasn't even been done before it's gonna happen yeah. i mean i mean you gotta you gotta have companies that that prioritize making good games and paying their low-level employees over giving bonuses to their high-level ones yeah, we have a few. I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. It's just we're gonna have the the shark on top of a company at some point, <laughs> yeah. and he's going to rear his face, and like that will be a standard. And uh, it's been pretty much labeled like that's that's you know Activision or like EA kind of mentality for years. So it's like that's the same shit, you know? They're just. They're, yeah, like, it's clear. It's clear they want to make money and, like, you know, they want to threaten to lay off people. It's like, that's just business. You know, that's just, like, you'll find that anywhere. Yeah, you're, you're right. I, I guess my point is it doesn't have to be. And if something, oh, has, no, it should. If something has to give, maybe that's the thing that we're – the realization we're going to come to eventually is that it's not sustainable to be paying people that don't make games – $100 million bonuses or what have you, you know? and yeah, these, these people are in so a perfect world. To, and up to the top, I sure they siphoned it out in such a way that it's it's not it is that what's happening. It's like it's like probably people didn't even realize it was happening until they're like, oh, and they got a hundred million bonus. What the fuck? Where'd that come from? You know, like these people can probably just manipulate the assets in such a way. You know, they're running it. I mean, what the hell, right? They could take whatever they want. They could shut it down for all you know, cash out tomorrow. We've you know? seen that too happens. Yeah, so it's not about integrity for a lot of these people. Yeah, and I, I think that's a problem. Um, but, uh, you know, we could talk about this for forever and I'm sure it's going to come up again as it does. So, uh, I think that's a good place to stop this conversation for now. If you listeners at home want to let us know what you're thinking about this issue, uh, or any of the points that we raise on this or any other story on this episode of the video game pals, make sure you write into us at the video game pals at gmail.com. Uh, show us your support by giving us a like on your platform of choice, uh, heading over to iTunes and giving us one of those sweet five-star reviews, subscribing to our YouTube channel and all that other great internet stuff. Um, so before we get out of here, uh, oh. watch out though. If you subscribe to our YouTube channel, 
there is only a 1% chance of the ultra-rare Pete, uh, you're more likely to get the more common Andes or Thompson. <laughs> He's frequently concussed. <laughs> if you pre-order now, you can get the special golden Pete amiibo. Uh, <laughs> Alright, so uh, before we bounce out of here, let's do some plugs. Andy? Uh, you can find me over on Twitter at Tiger underscore millions. Um, I think my picture is Andrew Luck right now. You won't see me, but you'll know in your heart that you're talking to me on Twitter. I, be- I believe uh, Pete and I got real into it with some rando about movies this week, so always looking forward to I've that. I've had several people in my real life come up to me and just be like, what was going on on your Twitter the other day? <laughs> it's like this random Australian dude is really mad and is getting into it with me and Andy because I, I, he's racist is the, the spoiler alert. <laughs> Whoa. Uh, all right, Sean. As ever, you can find me on the Comics Pals. This week we talked about The Punisher. We reviewed Punisher Season 2, which we all liked to varying degrees. And you guys will tune in and hear, you know, exactly what we had to say about what is likely the last season of Punisher we will be getting on Netflix. We also talked about DC and some of the big changes that are happening over there and how that might impact their business going forward. On social media, you can catch me at Sean Soapbox, and you can hit me up to talk about um, how good of a game Smash Brothers Ultimate is. That's all I want to talk about when it comes to gaming. Nice. Thompson? You can find me at Twitter, at Relic Vampire. Playing Battlefleet Gothic is my thing, and if you want to have a match, well, 1v1, I enjoy the challenge. Please, let's do it. Slide into Thompson's uh... DMs. (laughs) Oh, baby. Yo, I mean, listen, like, I fucking love this game, and uh, I feel like there's a real, there's a real uh, wholehearted community there that's willing to take a challenge, so. There you go. Yeah, 1v1, or go home. 1v1 me in bot lane. <laughs> As for me, uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at loud underscore Pete. Come talk to me about the hype that is Kingdom Hearts 3's imminent release, and uh, any other stuff we talked on this show, about on this week's show. Um, this was a real interesting news week, and I... I'm always ready to talk Nintendo's successes and failures. So if you want to come talk to me about uh, any of that stuff, I would welcome it. Uh, or if you want to connect with me about Punisher, because um, that was pretty cool too. So like uh, Sean said, you can catch me over on the Comics Pals with him. Uh, you can also find me on our book club, which uh, we had a new one come out this past week. Where we read the first ever uh, Hellboy story, which I, uh, I enjoyed quite a bit, and it was a really great episode. We've got some really fun book clubs on the way, so if you are a fan of comics or looking for an excuse to get into them, uh, I would recommend you go check out one of our book clubs and maybe read along with us. Uh, you can also find my work over at lootpots.com, so if this wasn't this two and a half hours of me talking about video games wasn't enough for you, you can find me on their weekly podcast where I am the host, The Potscast. Uh, we talked about the indie highlights and went a little more in-depth than we did on this week's show. And uh, a couple other things. And um, I'm also, like, I did the review of Dying Reborn that's over there. You can check out if you want to hear exactly how trash that game was. Uh, or, you know, check out any other stuff I got going on over there. I would appreciate it. Uh, so that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Video Game Pals. We'll catch you all next week. Take Bye. care, guys. Bye, everybody.